So if you look at the long-term secular trend, there's been three trends. One has been globalization. So we've increased peace, we've increased global trade. Two, we've increased the population. And three, we've increased the money supply. And all three are reversing. Hello there. How are you all doing? You having a good week? It's still freezing cold here in Bedford. I'm also ill. I've got a croaky throat, a whole body aches. I've got lurgy. I think it's the end of the year. So my body's saying, pack up, Pete. It's time to enjoy Christmas. Okay, before we get into the show, I have released the second in my film series, Follow the Money. If you didn't watch the original film, I travelled out to El Salvador and made a film about Bitcoin adoption there. And in this second film, I actually travel to my hometown of Bedford and I make a film about inflation and how it's affecting families and businesses in the UK. I also travel to Harlow, speak to some of the locals. Now, if you want to check that out, that is on my YouTube page. That's the What Bitcoin Did podcast YouTube page. Please go and check it out. And also let me know what you think. I do want to make more films, so your feedback is super welcome. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Mark Moss back on the show. Now, this is the third in a series of shows I've been making with Mark, and previously we looked at the move from decentralization towards peak centralization, and Mark thinks as we are approaching peak centralization, we are seeing a massive growth in Marxism. Obviously, I needed him to explain his rationale, and obviously, you know me, I'm going to challenge him on that. I don't think we're becoming Marxist, but I do need to listen to Mark's points and do need to listen to his rationale behind this. So take a listen. Let me know what you think. I possibly was a little bit, I possibly interrupted a little bit too much in this one. I should let Mark speak a bit more. But anyway, it is what it is. Let me know what you think. My email address is hellowhatbitcoindid.com and I do look forward to your feedback and I will get back to you. I am home now, so I'll pretty much be able to get back to anyone pretty quickly. Okay, enjoy the show and I'll speak to you all soon. I saw you on uh, Twitter. Matt Walsh was like, Peter, I like your show. And then you're like, hey, well, if I'm in D.C., maybe we should sit down or whatever. He, Matt Stoller, not Matt Walsh. Oh, Stoller, Stoller, Stoller. Yeah, yeah Matt, Stoller. I'd like to talk to Matt, Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh was the can't, women can't get pregnant thing or whatever. Have you watched what, that? What is a woman? Uh, no. I, I've seen a couple clips, but I haven't, I haven't watched it's, it. Do you know what? It's kind of good in that it's funny and entertaining. And he also... His does, documentary? Yeah. And he also does a really good job at showing there are some people out there who haven't fully thought through their ideas with regards to trans issues. And I think there is definitely a conversation to be had with regards to putting kids on uh, puberty blockers and, uh, yeah. and, you know, and, having, and going through surgery. And I think he did a really good job with that. I think it missed one thing as a piece of journalism. I wanted him to also sit down with the family, ideally not a kid because that's tough. I don't know how you do that, but certainly with the family – of a kid who is really struggling with gender dysphoria. Because I think I think it's obvious there's some kids out there who are you know lost and they go online and they find uh, you know find this kind of movement and get sucked into it. But there are you know pre-wokeness there were kids who always thought they were the wrong gender. And yeah. I think to know what it's like for that kid to go through that as well, you would have had both sides. And I think it missed that. And I think if it had that it was too far on one side, not enough of the other. But it's going out on the daily wire, so it has yeah. to be. But yeah. but I think if he'd have done that, that would have been like an, a great piece of journalism. And, I, and the interesting thing was, I listened to him on Rogan. Did you listen to his Rogan show? Mm-mm. Oh, I listened to some, I saw a clip of it though. It was really good, but the second half was really telling because they got into uh, gay marriage. That's the clip I saw. But that bit ends up going on for like half the show and they go round and round in circles because Rogan's saying, why does it matter? And he's saying, well, because you know, marriage is about the formation of a, a bond where you can create children. He said, well, some people can't have children. And they go round and round. But what that made me realize is that Matt is coming from a place of religion. 
He's purely coming from a place of religion. And so therefore, there's no part of him that I think wants to understand gender dysphoria. The part that I got from that is he was saying, this is what marriage is. If you're saying it's something different, then what are you calling it? Like you're trying to redefine a word. And this is back to the book, uh, the, the Communist Manifesto, Uncommonist Manifesto. We opened it up with definitions because definitions are lost today. We don't know what we're, we're, we're saying the same thing, but we're speaking different languages. So you have to kind of go back and clarify the definition. So he was saying marriage is between a man and a woman who come together to start a family. If you're saying it's something different, then what are you calling it? Or are we changing the definition of it? Yeah, I mean, definitions can change. I mean, well, so, I, don't, I don't know if definitions can change. Um, well, no, I think I think you can say mar- I think you can say mar- like societies change, we evolve. I think you can say a marriage can be two people and not a man and a woman. I think you can have a marriage between two people who love each other. I don't think that's a problem, and I think that just that just reflects a society that ha- has progressed. I think because you know I, I could throw another example back at you. A lot of people call um, things socialism that aren't socialism. Sure. People call capitalism things that aren't capitalism. Yeah, exactly. And we see that. People will say, you know, they'll say something like, I don't know, they'll call like maybe a a Swedish government socialist, but they're not socialists. Yeah. What they are they is... They call slavery capitalist. Yeah, exactly. So that, that like people get definitions wrong, but I just thought on that point, there there is no issue of two people coming together and getting married. But I mean, we're, we're going away from the point. Yeah. The point I was trying to make is, is that that interview, if I'd have seen that before I'd seen the film that would have informed me more of the position where Matt's coming from. Like I said, I think he did a good job in part of it, but it missed the, missed the journalistic piece of showing the other side of the story. Yeah. And sadly, from there, I think, you know, there are, there's an impact on creating content like this. There is an impact on making people more aware, but there's also an impact in driving uh, discrimination and bigotry against certain groups as well. And it's... If you're going to claim to be a freedom maximalist or a libertarian and you do not support sexual and gender freedom, you're a fucking liar. You're a liar. You're basically, you're not really a libertarian. What you are is selfish. You're somebody who wants the bits of libertarianism that you like and the, 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 you're rejecting the bits you don't like. But you're not a libertarian, so don't claim to be a libertarian. It's just bullshit, okay? You can raise issues. You can say, I am concerned about X, Y, Z. We need to have this conversation. Fine. Yeah. I agree and I would do that. But if you are not supporting people's freedom and calling yourself a libertarian, you're just you're just a liar. And and I will fucking die on that hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't anyway. know. If, I don't know if I'm a libertarian. <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, I, I'm I, not. I don't know what I am. I don't like to use labels because I can't really ascribe myself to any one ideology. So I'm uh, pantarian. Pantarian. Because <laughs> I like Pantera. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they were pretty good. Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. Oh my God, you know that? Of course. Ah, oh, fuck, man. You know, I got to see them live once. That was it, the first song that got me. Oh man! I, but so we did a we did a show with um, what's the guy from Pantera? Capital Dan Moorhead. Dan Moorhead. Oh, and yeah. we use, I think we used Cowboys from Hell on the intro. Yeah, we did. Uh, I got to see them once at Donington Monsters of Rock, and it was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Cowboys from Hell. That song was the first one that hooked me in. But really, it was the album Vulgar Display of Power. Right? Yeah, that was just like so good. Oh man! Honestly, uh, Walk when Walk came out, I think that was the first song I heard. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, such a shame that they broke up when they did and such a you know what happened to Dimebag Daryl, right? No. So the guitarist, Dimebag, like absolute cult hero. When the band broke up, he set up a new brand with his brother. I can't remember what they're called. He was murdered on stage. On some stage? Fucking, yeah, some psycho in the crowd jumped on stage and shot him, killed him. Whoa. And so Pantera never got back together because of that. Um 
there was a lot of hate towards um, Phil. Some people implied that he maybe caused this because he was, you know, they, they had beef. And so the drum, they never got back together. I actually interviewed the drummer. So mm. the full story on my career, I actually set a fanzine up when I was about 15. I used to interview bands. Yeah. I interviewed the drummer of Pantera, wow. Pantera a band. So they never got back, to, back together. Now the drummer died recently. So uh, Phil and Rex, who's the bassist, um, uh, uh, they have a band, I think it's called Down, but they've, they've been playing Pantera songs. They think they're going to reform Pantera with Zach Wilde on guitar, which I think will be freaking mm. awesome. Some people won't like it. But I like it. Did, hell, you, did, you, did you listen to Bullet for My Valentine? Yeah, great band. Yeah, great band. Yeah. Love yeah. that stuff. Did you ever listen to Biohazard? Uh, a little bit, yeah. That was my was it? That was my childhood band. I went a little bit more, I mean, because I think Rage Against the Machine came out like a year before Vulgar Display of Power. Mm. It was like kind of like just, and, and being from Southern California, it was a little bit more like punk and hip hop yep. influence than like the death metal for me anyway. I think death metal was like a little bit before me. I was more maybe hairband style than death metal. So I don't know. Like Poison and Warren. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, in, I'm from SoCal, you know, so then, and then it was more of like the rap kind of hip hop ska kind of thing that took off. Well, Rage Against the Machine, that album, I mean, they're a little bit commie now, but. <laughs> well, they were always commie looking backwards. Yeah. Now you look backwards, right? But they were always commie, but yeah, well, way it, commie now. Interesting. So we had this conversation this morning when we were talking about this show, talking about that we believe there's certain things that Marxists and Bitcoiners will agree on. Okay. One thing specifically, which we'll come to, which is they recognize there's a problem. Okay. It's, it's their idea to solve it, which is wrong. Right. I think that's why maybe you and I had rage appeal to us because they recognize there's a problem in the system. Yeah. And I was too young to recognize the naivety of their solutions. Yeah. Um, I still find it hard to not like the band because I just love the songs. I mean, still the, that, that first album was just so good. Well, every song is good. Yeah. So, you know, my football team. Yeah. So uh, we started playing songs when the bands, when the team scores, and for the f we're playing on the weekend, and we uh, we're playing "Know Your Enemy." Yeah, I fucking love it. At my events, I like to play a bomb track for like, <sighs> my walkout song. Love that. I loved it. Wake up in the, the Matrix. Yeah. Anyway, guys, right, let's do this. Yeah, let's do Sorry. this. That's, by the way, that's part of the show. <laughs> I, I love hanging out and catching <laughs> up with you. I uh, I uh, I don't talk to many people that are commies as progressive as you. And, I am and, not a and, and, and have an open mind about it, right? And so, like, we can talk about these things and joke and have fun with them. Can you get on my pin tweet? Uh, I'm not a progressive. You like to push progressive ideas. I like to push freedom ideas. I don't know if they're freedom ideas. Uh, some of them are. Some of them are. Some of them are. This, to me, this is what my career is. Oh, yeah. And this is true. I, this is absolutely true. I, I don't think I've ever really changed who I am. Um, I've learned more things and... I think I've got a more nuanced opinion, but Bitcoin has definitely seen me like that screaming progressive. When I go home, people think I'm Alex Jones. Yeah. They absolutely think I'm Alex Jones. And really? the, point I, the point of this is to try and get across to people is there's a big difference between Europe and America. And I think sometimes neither truly understands each other, the cultural background, why they are the way they are. And that's a problem because, you know, if we're going to live in a world where we kind of well, maybe not now based on what we're going to talk about, but if we're going to try and cooperate, we have to understand why we're different. Why is Europe more you know, to the center ground? Why is America more polarized? And they're really important issues. But I am, I am seen as progressive here, but no way am I seen as progressive in the UK. You know I hosted the Alex Jones show? Did you? Yeah. When? Two months ago. Did you? He got up, he's like, all right, I'm out of here. You host the desk. And he walked out and I like, what? Like, okay. And like I hosted like a whole segment on the show. 
You fan of him? No, not really. Are you not? Uh, you know, I've never really watched him. I've seen clips here and there, a couple of interviews, right? So I'm not like uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fan at all, right? So I don't, I don't, I don't watch his content. Um, I think he's been right about a lot of things. I think he's very abrasive and over the top on a lot of things. Um, I think he's probably been right on. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan. I haven't absorbed a lot of content. I think there's a lot of things that he is right about. He just recently re released a book called The Great Reset. I think it's it's pretty correct. Um, so, um, do you think saying someone's right about a lot of things is an is an excuse? Ro Rogan's the one who said that originally. He's been right about so much. He has been. But is that not an excuse? Excuse for what? For all the things he was wrong about that like, cause harm. Like what? Um, well, his accusations of what happened. So Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. And so, so, take, so let's, let's take that just as a clip. Mm. So he goes live, I think, four hours a day, three hours a day or four hours a day every mm -hmm. day. So that's 20 hours a week of content mm -hmm. times 52 weeks in a year times how many years since Sandy Hook? Five or six. So how many thousands of hours of content? The total amount of time he's talked about Sandy Hook on a show was 24 minutes what's what's your point you're making with that so one he's never once mentioned any parents names never once mentioned any kids names if you remember when sandy hook came out there was all types of uh, yeah, yeah. information and it was a false flag and these crisis actors and blah 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 and so he said hey like maybe we should look at this maybe we should question it and i think we should always question everything we should always look at everything he never said hey those parents never lost their kids hey they're stupid hey it's all fake like so I think I, the media has used, the media has talked about it for thousands of hours. Fact-checking this live is going to be difficult, but I, I'm i sure when it looks, because I, look, do I think well, okay, he should so, have been? So, so he told me that I only talked about it for 24 minutes. So you could fact-check that. He said, that's what he told me. Um, I think it's a much bigger issue that we, will actually, we can actually talk about. Um, I did an interview with Robert Barnes, who's a constitutional attorney, and yeah. we talked about this, and we talked about it in light of tornado cash. Yeah. Alex Jones and uh, January 6th and, and the Trump uh, Mar-a-Lago documents. And all of those are actually attacks on free speech, but from different angles. So you take something that most people would agree on, like, hey, he said mean things about parents whose kids died, which is super mean. And I wouldn't like that. And yeah, no, nobody would like dick. it. Every, everybody would agree that saying bad things about parents whose kids were killed is bad. Yeah. You can all agree on that. So, so the pup, so you get public support. And then you use that to say, well, we should we should make laws to prevent people from ever saying things. No, like see, that. I don't agree with that. But look, that's what they're doing. Yeah, I know. Look, don't get me wrong. For anyone listening, I'm in litigation for saying words. Right. I I completely disagree with that because and and when you go through litigation for saying words, you then become conscious of the words you say and you think I can't say that now, and that's a problem. I mean, we had it yesterday. Like me and Danny were talking about something I'd said in a show. It's like, should we edit that out? I might face litigation. That's not a good place to be because whether you think I'm an entertainer, a journalist, or a moron, there is elements of what I do which is journalistic. And now, as a journalist, that you're fearing saying things, that's a problem. Sure. So I don't think Alex Jones should have got a billion dollar fine or whatever it was. I think. I think. The public embarrassment is enough. It I mean, I just would not consume his content because right. I think you dick, and I think that is the right right result. And let's not get away from what he actually said, like because he said some pretty fucking shocking things, and that has some serious implications on the parents who are grieving dead children and then being accused in receiving death threats because they've been accused of uh, uh, um, being crisis actors. Like, you know, 
I prefer journalism with a bit more responsibility. That was irresponsible. Part of the problem that we have, though, is that because the government hides everything and we, there's no transparency, it leads to wild speculation. And so uh, through over and over and over, if the government would provide that transparency, come out and give answers, school shootings are one, the, the Las Vegas situation's one. I mean, we can name all these different yeah. conspiracy theory type deals. And without that transparency, we're just left to speculate. And then that runs rampant, right? Uh, we, we see it all the time in, in relationships or whatever, right? And uh, the imagination gets the best of you. So, well, yeah, I mean, and look, and I'm with you. You can you can look take that lens for multiple things. I think you can use the exact same lens for what's happened with all the crypto blowups this year. Sure. Because what you have is companies able to get outside of regulation, do whatever the fuck they want, and that causes damage. Well, what's the alternative? Regulate everything for consumer protection and people feel constrained, which nobody likes. Yeah. And that's the same with journalism. You know, you can... You can have citizen journalism like Elon Musk wants. When what ends up happening, you don't really get citizen journalism. You get so much noise, you cannot, you don't know what to decipher as truth. Well, you or, start to find out who the people are, the signal, and you and you follow the signal. Yeah, but but, yeah, but signal can come from audience capture. We talked about Tim Paul. I don't see Tim Paul as signal because there's too much audience capture in there. I mean, there's very few people I trust, like Matthew Taibbi, Barry Wise. There's a couple of people in the UK. But the point is, is like I, I think there's no right answer. Everything is like you either have anarchism, which is a, an absolute mess, and or you have you know, regu like strict regulation. You don't know who to trust, and you feel like you're being, you know, conned. I, I genuinely don't know the answer. It's just fuck, <laughs> a big fucking mess. Did you find anything? Were you looking up? Uh, I couldn't find anything about the 24 minutes of him talking about Did it. Find anything about what he actually said? I mean, he called it a hoax. Yeah, uh, said it was as real as a three dollar bill or something. Yeah, he did, and he and he admits that. He admits that he said that. And he and he has publicly apologized multiple times. And uh, but that means he's not somebody I can. You might you say yeah he's been right on multiple things. He's just he's not signal for me. I'm not I, saying he's signal. Yeah. I said I'm not a fan. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I don't consume his content. He wanted to talk about the book, and I was in Austin, and so I came by to talk about my book. And then he got up and walked off the show, and I hosted the show. <laughs> what was that like? Um, it wasn't like this like big pre-planned thing where he's like, hey, you want to come? Like, are you a big fan? You want to come host my show? It was like, hey, let's talk about your book. I want, yeah, I'm trying to talk about my book, The Uncommunist Manifesto. He talks a lot about Marxism and communism and the World Economic Forum, so it fits right in, perfect. So I went and talked about it. And then he, like I said, he got up and walked out. Why did he leave? I think, I think he's what got- What did a, you say to him? He, he's, he's got a pretty bad <laughs> substance problem. Okay. Yeah. Right. And that's pretty well known. Okay. That's pretty well known. Um, and uh, I don't know, he was, uh, he seemed like he was a mess, which I think he seems like he's a mess everybody and uh well he's under a lot of pressure in between yeah. each break he, yeah this is this is during right in the middle of the whole lawsuit situation this was a couple months ago and every every break every commercial break he'd get up and leave the room and then you come back in and then you get up and leave the room have a cigarette i don't know what he was doing and then on one of them he's like all right i'm out of here you just hosted on the next, <laughs> next segment well you're a natural host anyway yeah i mean i host my own show so i was like okay whatever but um, i was watching your youtube the other day and i was saying to daniel i was like fucking hell mark is good yeah, Mark thanks. is a natural. So um, I saw Svetsky when I was in Lugano. And he said he, he gave you a copy of the he book. He did. And I said, send me your um, Bitcoin address. I'm gonna, I always want to pay for things. I yeah. don't want anything for free. And he still hasn't sent me it. But uh, So I've got the book, but I haven't read it. So the Uncommonist Manifesto, yes. we'll plug that. Yes. Yeah, the the Uncommonist Manifesto. It's on Amazon. Yes. We've got I, really good reviews. We got uh, 200 plus five-star reviews. Wow. You know, we hit bestseller in a couple categories. Nice. I'm I'm really proud of it. Um, Mark, Karl Marx was a philosopher and, uh, he, the, the, he writes in a philosophical way. Alex Fetsky is also a philosopher. He writes that way. I, I'm more of like an analytical thinker. 
And so, you know, he wrote two chapters, I wrote two chapters, and then I went back through his chapters, he went through my chapters, and I think it came out really, really well. You've read it, haven't you? I've, I've read some of it. Yeah. What, why did you write the book? So, you know, I've been, obviously, I've been kind of pushing, you know, capitalism and free markets and, and Bitcoin, obviously, um, the opposite of that being communism or socialism or whatever. And I've studied a lot about that side of, of, of politics or economics. Um, and I've read a lot about Karl Marx. I've read, a, I've read a lot about the history of, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution and all of that. Um, but I never actually read his own work. And I always say all the time, like I take people at their word. So I read Klaus Schwab's books. I read them, right? I want to read directly from the source and not people's opinions about them. And um, it was when BLM was, you know, doing all the, all the rioting and whatnot in the United States. And the leaders of BLM said, we are trained Marxists. Are they the people, that's what you got like a $2.4 million mansion. Yeah, like the, the, the women who were like running it, yeah. right? And yeah, they, they squandered all the money, right? So, so they said, we are trained Marxists. So like, what does that mean? What is a Marxist really? Well, let's go to the source and let's read the Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. You read it, didn't you? Mm -hmm. and, well, so, the audiobook. and so I went and, and I got the book and I was shocked. I was like, I can't believe anybody could actually read this book and actually like it. And it was in, uh, it was uh, shortly before, months before I went down to El Salvador and I went down there with Svetsky and uh, I brought a copy of the book. It's, just, it's a booklet. It's a 45 minute read. Right, like some of the best books in history, like uh, Rothbard's Anatomy of the State or Bastiat's The Law, they're just booklets. They don't need a whole novel, right? So it's about a forty-five minute read. And I brought it. And I was like, "Have you ever read this book?" And he said the same thing. No, I haven't. And I said, "I just if people read this book, I can't believe they would like what's in there." And so I thought, um, if we could shine a light on it, kind of what Libs of, you mentioned, Libs of TikTok. What Libs of TikTok does is it just holds a mirror up. All yeah. they're doing is just reposting what people are putting on. Well, that's not exactly true. That's not exactly okay. true. They do a commentary. Sometimes. Yeah. And, and I, for mo most of the time I've seen, they just reposting stuff, which as a social media user, I, I, the, one of the key metrics I look for is people that share my stuff. I see all the time sharing my stuff as greatest compliments. So they're reposting people's stuff and they're not happy about it. And, and look, don't get me wrong. The stuff I've seen with teachers crying because they can't talk to four year olds about their gender. Uh, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I've been to school. <laughs> We never had any teachers talking about gender or sexuality, any of that stuff. Yeah, I send my kid to school, and I want them to learn. I want them to learn about math and dinosaurs, right? Yeah, I don't want them to learn about yeah. this. I don't even want them being taught gender and stuff in the school. I think it should be taught. There's certain things I should, think should be taught at home, and I see that, and I think it's fucking mental. But I have heard people say, "Lips of TikTok just repost content." They do repost content, and that's fine, if, you know. But they don't just repost content. They add commentary at times, and that's just. I'm only saying that just to be honest. Okay. You know, they, they, and some of the commentary is hilarious, you know, but I don't think they get it right every time. I think 95% of the time. Okay. But they well, don't get right every time. So, kind of the same way, though, is like if we could shine a light on what the Communist Manifesto is so people could actually understand it. They, they think there was a study, a survey done by Yale a couple weeks ago, and they asked students what their um, preferred uh, economic situation would be, capitalism or socialism, and like 60% chose socialism. What age? Uh, uh, it was college students. Okay, and are these people who understand that- Well, they don't, they, they don't understand, which is exactly why I want to shine the light no, on it so they can see what it is. I, I, you think it was my point. It's not whether they understand the negative effects of true socialism, like communism. It is, are these people who think socialism is like the UK offering uh, right. uh, NHS or is it 
communism. Right. And I think, like I say, I think the term socialism is now widely used as uh, uh, things that the government provide, which is welfare support, you know, Medicaid, whether it's here, uh, social security. I think most people consider that those socialist policies, sure. but it's not socialism. They think Everyone, of all the good, they don't think about the bad. They don't no, think no, about no, the consequences. No, no, what I'm saying is it's just not socialism. Socialism, socialism is the workers owning the means of production. Is it the workers owning the means yeah. of production? Yeah. Or the or state. state. The state, state, state controlling yeah. the means yeah. of production. Sorry, the state controlling the means of production. And that you, there's no property rights. I don't think they think that. I think they can have a home, but if they fall on bad times, they'll get uh, uh, social support. I think that's what people think socialism yeah. is now. I think if you ask 10 people what socialism is, I think you'll be lucky to get one who will actually describe I, what I it agree. Really is. I agree completely with you. So, so, so that question, when they're saying they want socialism, I don't think they're asking for communism. Which is exactly why I wanted to highlight the book that lays it all out. So they really know what this is about. Yes. From his own words, yes. laid out specifically. So when they say I'm trained Marxists, well, what did Marx teach? So let's go back to the let's go back to the source. Right? What what did you get from the book? So I I read the sort of his actual work first, and I, I went to it to basically like let's I'm going to dunk on this. This will be funny, and it was. Um, I mean, it, I don't know how people like you. I, I don't know how people sort of are into that. But what happened was I then went back and listened to, there was a big prelude in the book that kind of explained the society, the state of society at that time in, in Europe. And it, it definitely made me understand it more once I understood like what society was going through at the time and like the lack of social mobility, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it made me understand why people believed in it then. But in hindsight, clearly it's mad. So I, I've not read it. And my opinions of Marx were based on things I've read or seen where people have said Marxism is responsible for the deaths of over 100 million people, that kind of thing. There's a guy I had on the podcast once called Steve Keen. He does like different kind of economics. Interesting guy. And he said something about Marx. Maybe it's to do with his birthday or something. And I said, fuck this guy. He's responsible for the deaths of 100 million people. And he said, no, he's not. It's the people who implemented their views on Marxism. He said, you can be critical of Marx, but his observations were correct. Like no, he made his observations were completely. Oh, I know. I'm just incorrect. telling you. But what I'm saying is, he. This is what this guy said to me. He's, he had observations were, which were correct, and it was when Danny came to me and said, "Look, if you read this, Marxists Marxists sometimes see the similar problems to Bitcoiners." Now, you, you, I, I see some doubt with you with that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. But um, first, you haven't read his work. No. I'm so, not. so we have to go back and read the original yeah, text. Yeah, tell and tell all, me. Right? Educate me. Um, and so that we asked why I wonder it. So one, I was like, well, when I read it, I was shocked. And I thought if people actually read this, to your point, the college students, if they actually knew what it was, they probably wouldn't like it. So I thought if we could actually highlight that and show what it is, people probably wouldn't like it. They wouldn't call themselves Marxist. Um, and two, then maybe we should write a, a reversal of that book and show that there's a better way. Okay. Now, I have a problem, and that is that we all have biases as humans, and I have an optimism bias. I typically believe people are good. Great. I uh, think they are, though. Uh, not everybody, right? But I, but that's but, but that's me. Yeah. So I like I typically would try to p give people the benefit of the doubt, and so giving Marx the benefit of the doubt, we can look back to kind of what Danny said, which is what was happening during the time when he wrote it, and how was the world in transition, and all of these things. Um, but anyway, that was the reason why I wrote the book. I, when I read it, I was shocked. I wanted to highlight it. I wanted to set the kind of the record straight. And so that's what we did. Do you think it's fair to hold that to like modern day account? Uh, no, I mean, we should always be able to change our mind, right? Knowing what I now know. So when information changes, right, we change our mind. And so um, he, he wrote that at the time and maybe he thought that was a good idea at the time, but now we have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And we know those ideas don't work, right? Mm. 
Um, so we should always, uh, and, and that's why history is so important. And one side of the aisle wants to get rid of history or change history, but history is important, whether it's good or bad, because we need to learn from history. And where you can really see during the French Revolution, that was part of the problem. They got rid of all the history and they had to start from scratch versus, versus the American Revolution took the lessons of the past and rebuilt off of that. So whether history is good or bad, whether it was horrific or great, we still need it because that's how we continue to build. Completely agree. Completely agree. Okay, so talk, talk me through the Communist Manifesto. So I think um, the first thing with the Communist Manifesto, the, the, the first part that really stuck out to me was he says, to summarize communism in one statement is the abolition of private property. So to your point, these kids in, in, in college, they don't realize it's like, oh, I don't own anything. And so that right there, I mean, we could sit there and unpack just that piece, but it's like, what is private property? Why is private property important? How does private property help people and humanities and, and whatnot. And so the abolition of it, just get rid of it altogether. And so there's, I think, a big misunderstanding of even what that means. So for example, I believe that my body is my private property. Mm -hmm. You can't make me move my arm, only I can, right? Um, and so then um, if I had a rare form of diabetes where I can't store fat on my body, then I'd have to eat 24 seven, right? But if I can store a little bit of fat, that's like a battery. And so now I don't have to eat for the next couple of days. I could burn off my fat. When I'm expending energy, thinking, working, digging holes, whatever, I'm expending my life's energy, my battery. And let's say that I dig for four hours a day and I earn enough to provide for my needs for that day. So every day I have to work four hours to get enough food or shelter to live. Well, let's say that I decide to work an extra four hours. Where do I store that? That's my energy I expended. I need to store that so money could be like this storage of energy, which then allows me to not work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's a battery. It's where I store my wealth. Well, that's my life I've given up. And then if I work long enough, I could buy a cow. And now that cow allows me to live longer. This house provides me shelter. And those are my, that's my battery. That's what allows for self-preservation. And then it allows me to start thinking long-term. So if you strip away all private property, I mean, where does that leave society? Of course, as Bitcoiners, we talk about this long time perspective, yeah. you know, all the time. So I think that was the first statement that shocked me, which is ab uh, abolition of private property. So giving him the benefit of the doubt, why did he want to get rid of private property? Well, what happened is if you understand the way the world kind of developed through lots of systems, but specifically, um, he wrote this right at the, just after the industrial revolution started. Okay. Okay. Previous to the industrial revolution, there was no machines. So the whole world operated on farms. Um, people kind of have this uh, Game of Thrones vision of the world and they don't realize that's not really how it was because it was very difficult to even have food back then. And so they had to grind wheat and it could take thousands of people just to grind enough wheat for people to live. So like just to stay alive was very difficult, but machines enabled them to move past that. So all of a sudden the industrial revolution gave them a machine could do the work of 5,000 men, which then freed up work, which then they could focus on technology and science and medicine, things like that. So that, that's where he wrote it. So everybody basically lived on the farm where I had to make my own clothes and make my own food and all these things. There was no specialization of labor yet. Yeah. All right. And so what happened is we kind of went from like this feudal society where people had money. And then we go into this kind of industrial society where then the rich people started building up factories and, and stuff like that. Now, I would imagine you had uh, in, a, in a farm, my father grew up on a farm um, in Iowa and it was, it's a tough life, right? Uh, my father would basically get loaned out to other farmers to help them bring their crops in, right? Everybody all hands on deck. The kids worked in the fields or worked in the kitchen with their mom. And so I would imagine that people, families moved from the farms directly into the factories. That's just what they did, right? I would also imagine that uh, factories were probably pretty unsafe, 
at the time. They just invented machines. They probably broke down all the time, right? There's probably lots of accidents happening. So I would imagine all those things were happening. And he said that the, it was, he, he, he made the pitted two groups, right? The rich and the poor, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And he said that the poor, the proletariat have nothing to offer but their labor and their labor will never equate to capital. Hmm. So no matter what the poor do, they're never going to have any capital. And the rich people that have the capital are always going to be oppressing and holding them down. And I, I believe that's just false, right? I believe, and, and maybe it was also indicative of the time. So we didn't have specialization of labor. So um, today we have intellectual capital, right? We have ideas. Mm. We have more than just our labor, right? Um, he was mad at the world that he couldn't provide for his family writing philosophy, so if you know about him, he came from mm -hmm. a very wealthy family. His parents were attorneys. His wife's family was very well-to-do as well. Um, he had, I believe, eight kids. And um, he wanted to, he didn't want to be an attorney. He wanted to just write philosophy. But no, the world didn't value that. And so he couldn't provide for his family. He was a horrible father. I believe four of his eight kids died, mm -hmm. uh, malnutrition, disease, et cetera. Um, but think about the irony here. It's actually capitalism that's allowed for the specialization of labor that actually values philosophy today. Yeah, he, I mean, he was just a victim of victim of time. <laughs> victim know? of time. He just wasn't born at the right time. But again, I'm not a communist. Let's just be clear. <laughs> um, but do you not think, if you're being charitable at the time, maybe his observations were correct in that? It, you know, today anyway, it's easy for anyone to make it. Anyone can. You know, most people have got a phone these days. They can create content. They can get a job. They can create something for themselves. Back then, I, I can imagine it's a lot harder to well, we break can, we, free we of. Can, we, we, we can dig deeper into his ideas, and then we can. No, say but I'm no. just saying, maybe then. It, but like, I'm I, not. I'm not agreeing with him. I'm just saying his observation. Back then, for how does somebody go from a factory worker to a factory owner? How do you get the capital to I start? I think a that's factory? a good point because I think his observation was that if you worked in a factory, you worked in a factory for life. You didn't. There was no social mobility. That was one of his big observations, right? And look, look, that, that's it's an observation, and if the observation is true, it's fair, and you can see why maybe somebody thinks, well, that's not fair in the world. But look, life isn't fair. That's just it isn't, and you know we. You know, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So he says that um, to to your point, there was no social mobility back then. There was no social ladder to climb. <laughs> we literally lived on farms. That was it. Where were you going to climb to? Now there was factories. And so we started to form some classes and some ability where people could make money. And we, so it was just being formed, but there, there was never any social class if we were to climb. But back to that point. Is that, is that really true? Well, yeah, you were- Did you not have kings and- You, you did, um, but that was long before this system. Okay. Okay, so this was long before the system. So that was the feudal system. And then this was yeah. core, kind of more of the farm and the cottage industry system that we went into. But back to so that- So you're saying from feudal to the farming- yeah, because all we that- We lost car structure. Yeah, all that broke down with, right. the, with the gunpowder revolution, right. the Protestant Reformation, the 1500s. Um, and so all that broke down. The churches then kind of disbanded and kind of uh, opened all that back up, kind of decentralized the land. And that was part of this 250-year pendulum swing of centralization uh -huh. and decentralization that we have. My man has receipts. <laughs> so in 1500, we swung back to decentralization. And then 1770, or uh, at the start of the Industrial Revolution at the end of the 1700s is when we started going back to decentralization. Because mm -hmm. now everybody moved from the farms into the cities, into factories, and started this massive centralization push. Um, but back to uh, back to Mark. So um, 
his ideas weren't right. So maybe that observation was a little bit right. But what he really believed is that if he could, uh, well, one, he believed if he pitted two arbitrary classes of people together, so poor versus the rich, where are people poor and rich? What's the dividing line? If you make a little bit more money, are you automatically rich and then you're automatically an oppressor as well? Like, right, so there's this artificial artificial kind of class structure that he has. But ultimately, why does he want the class structure? So you have to understand what socialism and communism is. So what he believed is that, and what Marxists and communists believe, Marxists believe is that you have capitalism and then you it kind of runs out and you need socialism, which is the system that kind of tears this down. And then you could eventually go to have this utopian communism. I mean, was his belief that if uh, the factory owners owned the factory, it would raise everyone up without realizing the issues that that would cause? No, he believed that we needed to take all of that away from them. So we needed, uh, the whole book is a book of struggle. So we want to always be in struggle. And the, the big fallacy that he has in the book is he believes that it's, uh, if we could take away the human desire to strive, to want more for ingenuity, then everyone could be happy. I mean, yeah, it's just bollocks. <laughs> so uh, I believe, and we wrote in the book, that it's it's humans' ingenuity, it's humans' drive, it's humans' drive for more efficiency, for using our scarce resources better that leads to innovations, that leads to, you know, all of this progress. Uh, but he thinks that we could take that out of humans. And if we could take away that drive, then everyone could just be happy. Which is why he says, each according to their ability each according to their need, which everybody loves. So basically, I'll just do whatever I can do, and I'm just going to have everything that I want. Yeah, see, I think these college students you're talking about where they've said they want, they believe socialism is the best form, are not believing in this. I just don't think they are. I think these people think. I, I agree. Yeah. Which is why I want to shine the light on this. Yeah, but, th but there's two things there. There is educating the actual Marxists, what is wrong with Marxism, and then there's edu educating the socialists what so those who think what well, they want socialism what socialism really is there's two there's like two different groups there well it's one educating them on what it really is yeah. and then two why, why do you why do you want that why do you think it's good what's what's good and bad about and, it and are you aware of the consequences and are you aware of, of where the consequences lead but 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 interestingly i do th i do think this is where the U ubi people are potentially communists because the way i've heard it explained is that uh, there won't be enough jobs anymore because they will be, uh, uh, you know, farmed out to AI and robots, and we'll have self-driving lorries, etc. People, need which to, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, well, humans will just find new jobs and new services and new things. But, but the idea is that well, if you give this person like a base layer of money, then they can focus on what what they want to do. I think it's just absolute bullshit. I Basically, agree. as you were saying that, all I was thinking is UBI, UBI, yeah, UBI. That's a bet on lack of ingenuity. Yeah, back, of, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you have a base amount of money and you can feed yourself and you can just focus on what you want to do to be happy, it's just bullshit. Yeah, it's complete. Um, and so I think, I think that. And then he also really talks about um, breaking down the family unit, which I think is wrong. So he says that, um, and this is a part that I thought would be really shocking for feminists if they read the book. And he says that women's are only, women are only for the means of production and families are for only economic gain. Which at the time, I guess, and in a farm industry, you have a bunch of kids and the kids help you on the farm. But um, I think he hated his family. We know that because the way he deserted his family for long periods of time, he would go travel, he left them in neglect, they uh, died of disease and malnutrition. 
So he looked at his family as a burden. He kind of hated his family. Um, and I think he projected that onto a whole group of people he doesn't know and said, oh, the, 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 the rich, the bourgeoisie, they just have these family. It's only pure economic. They look at their women as, a, as, as, a, as community property. So we should just look at women as community property. And I'm like, do women know about that? <laughs> I don't know if they would like that either. Um, so I think there was a lot, there was a lot wrong there. Uh, but ultimately I think he got wrong uh, the human drive and the human strive for more, right? And um, that's that's capitalism. Did he get anything right? Is it anything you went, huh? What well, do you think about I, the separation of church and state? That stuff. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. I, I, there was no talk of the separation of church and state in the Communist Manifesto. Interesting. Did he not write about that? Uh, I'm not. There's a, another book, though, isn't there? Uh, I mean, he he wrote. There's a bunch of his writings that came out. A lot of his writings didn't come out until the early 1900s. As a matter of fact, some stuff wasn't wasn't published. So there's a lot of stuff that he's written, and I haven't read. read so I've everything. got a I've got a Marx book at home that I haven't read yet. But so when you said, "Oh, it's a short book, 45 pages," I'm like, "No, this book I've got is is not a 45 page book." Well, it was Das Kapital, which is yes, a big that's one. the one I've yeah, got. Yeah. yeah. So um, he didn't he didn't talk about that in the book. Um, but uh, I think the the one thing, and I know you're trying to look for a parallel. The one thing I would say is that uh, right, he saw that um, there was uh, there was a struggle. He recognized a struggle. Well, I just I I think from what the understanding I've been given is that he felt like there was something unfair in society, and maybe that comes from him personally. But he felt like it was unfair. And I think Bitcoiners think there's things that are unfair. They, maybe they're different things. I, I don't think I don't think he viewed it as unfair. He recognized a struggle. He recognized that he couldn't have all he wanted without struggling, without fighting, without working to achieve it. Tough life, motherfucker. Yeah, and so he said that the struggle was between the rich and the poor. The poor were held down by the rich. The reality is, and Jordan Peterson frames this up very well. The reality is, we all struggle against the world. This show is brought to you by Leaden. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages. Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Fidelity Investments. Now, one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments reach out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team to help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have also been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. Now, they started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team of services ever since. And their in-house fintech incubator is where the teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now, you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they provide the resources, training and development to make you successful in this emerging industry. Now, if you want to learn more about this, then please head over to crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Next up, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. 
and Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. Plus. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, before I even started this podcast, and I absolutely love the S Plus. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Also today, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, and they are trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino that you can go to. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Well, would you not say, if you if you would uh, extrapolate that to mo- the modern society, would you not say the politicians are essentially the... Uh, uh, the the elites are holding us back and making us poor. Of course, yeah. So yeah. Th- that's why I'm saying. Like, that's why I think there is some similarities. We're recognizing there's something wrong between Bitcoin. Is, is there's like this elite that are holding people back. Sure, we can say that. Okay, yeah. You fucking communist. <laughs> so let's let's talk let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think we can quantify that. Yeah. So when we say a communist or not, how do we how do how do we break opinion from actual data? And, and there's a way because in the communist manifesto, he lays out 10 points of communism. So in order to have a communist society, it must have these 10 things. Okay. So let's look at those. Let's go for it. How many does the United States have? How many does the UK have? One, abolition of private property. Okay. So we don't really have that yet. Nope. Right? We still have private property rights. So specifically in the US, we have the strongest private, private property rights in the world. We um, have pretty good private property rights in okay. the UK. Now, look, we, we do... But they can go into your bank account and take your money, but we know that can happen anywhere. Right. Uh, they can tell you what to do with your business. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. They can tell you what to do with your body. Uh, no, not as such. You know, we didn't have forced vaccinations. We had mandates on certain jobs. I think it was health workers. So, so some of this is... There's creep you know, on that though, right? Yeah, but like, they, they, I think the nuance is going to always be important because otherwise, because I think the word commie is used loosely sometimes. I think you just have to look at the nuance and not agreeing with it, you know, despite being yeah, someone... I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying I believe the US has the strongest private property yeah, rights. I, I think However, yes. they still can't tell you what to do with your business. Yes. They can still take your money out of your bank account. They did still force people to take vaccines. Did they force... Force people to take vaccines, well, or did they coerce? They coerced. Yeah, they coerced. Th- but that, that—that's a different. You're right. You're right. So, so let's let's say one. Yeah. We're, we're not we're not sold on one. Yeah. Okay. What about number two? A heavy progressive or graduated income tax? A heavy progressive, progressive. on graduated income tax. In the U.S., we do. Mm, right. The yeah. more you make, the more you pay. Yeah. 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 No, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah, we have so that we, in the U.K. So we have that. Um, number three: abolish the right of inheritance. Now, in the hmm. U.S., we haven't abolished it, but what we do is um, at, uh, estates over a million dollars get taxed at 50%. Yeah, we have it at 40% over, I think, 240,000 pounds. Yeah. So, so you, then, and, and, and what happens is, let's say in the farm industry, this land has been passed down for generation after generation after generation. Today, now they're putting like all these different solar panels and stuff on the land, which gives the land a higher value. So now someone um, inherits the, the farmland 
farmers are broke, right? But now the land's worth $5 million, $10 million, and now they got to put up 50% of the tax. They don't have that money. Oh, no, li- listen, I get it. Um, they haven't, they haven't I, abolished it, yeah. but it's but it's but it's creeping there. Yeah, no, no. Look, I see it. Look, I, and you you plan for inheritance, and you know. Um, but the way I look at that is, is that governments tax anything they can to get as much money as they can. They tax the food. We well, not always. Food. Yeah, they actually tax some of the food. They tax our income. Right. They tax our fuel. They tax uh, our inheritance. Like any place they think. And uh, is that communist? Uh, no, it's, it's point number two. I don't think of it's the com- communist manifesto. I don't think. I think if they took all of your inheritance, I could say it's communist. Right. I just think that is part of the tax system. Well, that, that's the number I don't two. Like it, well, by number, the way. No, number two is heavy progressive and graduate income tax. Yeah. Okay. okay. So Fine. number two, and then three is abolished right of inheritance. So we haven't we haven't abolished all right of inheritance, but it's the walls are closing in. Mm-hmm. Twenty years ago, we didn't have these laws. Today, we do. Okay. Okay. Um, number four. Confiscate property owned by immigrants and rebels. Hmm. Now you, you know. I'm trying to think. Uh, hold on, hold on. What does that mean? So immigrants? Do we? We don't do that in the UK. We don't confiscate their property. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't really. Um, immigrants don't really come in with property. But what about rebels? What does that mean? So it, someone who re- rebels against the system, or you know, um, so you is know. this like forfeiture? Forfeiture, yeah, asset like asset forfeiture. And, but then, what's a rebel? Because we have like we have forfeiture from uh, acts of crime. If you're a drug dealer yeah. in the UK and you're prosecuted for dealing drugs, um, they will, yeah. you know, they will take. I would, your- I would say four doesn't really fit. Yeah. I, I would say that. Yeah. So, so four doesn't really fit. Uh, number five, establish a national bank, a central bank, by the means of a central bank and monopoly. By the way, are these 10 points taken literally listed in the book word yeah, for word? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes, central bank. Of course. Central banks, yeah. right. So number three, I'm sorry, uh, number two and number five were established at the same time in the U.S. 1913, creation of the IRS and creation of the Federal Reserve. Um, so a central bank is communist. A as, central bank is a component of a communist system. Right. Is a central bank communist? It's a component of a, of a yeah. communist system. Okay, fine. Uh, number six. Uh, nationally controlled communications and transportation. Of, of course, okay, in the U.S., okay. uh, sure. So nationally controlled... We have the SCC, FCC, which controls all radio waves, all, all of that. So all of that's controlled. So, yeah, so we have licenses handed out... By the government. By the government as a... Do they, hmm. That's one of the few that maybe the UK is... All of these seem like we're moving towards like this communist world, but that's the one where the UK may be moving away from they've it. They've kind like of deregulated we're deregulating all of it. Yeah. some stuff and like, dere- like denationalizing They deregulated rails. meaning that they've kind of broken some of the monopolies down, but they yeah. probably still hand down the licenses yeah, to probably. the individual companies to have. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, they make a fuckload of money off them. It doesn't matter the reason. Okay. The point is, is it's a nationally controlled communication and transportation. So in the U.S., we have the Department of Highways, Department of Transportation. We have all these agencies that control all transportation. Yeah, I don't mind the government controlling the roads. Sorry, Eric Voorhees. But okay. well, on um, that, is the M6 toll not the best motorway in the U.K.? The one private road. Yeah, and why is that? Because you can pay to jump and not be in traffic. Well, that's that's. But yeah, it's the best road in the UK. Yeah, but it's private. Is but, it, but is it the best because it's private? Is it the best because we, we don't, you get we don't, that we don't, we don't. We don't need to debate every one of these. The point is, is we have that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number seven, government ownership of means of production, land, and natural resources. So like Biden says, we're not going to give out any more drilling access to lands, right? So they control, the US controls all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing the UK does as well. This trust one to open up fracking, now yeah, it's yeah. shut back down. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, we have that. Uh, number eight, Industrial. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So I just want to make sure when we go through each point, I'm fully thinking about. Say that one again. And, and, and then I want to try and justify it on, in behalf of the government. 
government. Well, it's not. About, it's not about justifying. <laughs> no, no. I'm it. just trying. I'm like. I'm trying we're to. We're just trying to quantify. It is just yeah, quantifiable, but, right? So yeah, uh, but to me, like, if we're trying to say, like. If we're trying to allude that we're heading towards communism, is there like a conscious choice of trying to be communist or is it a scope creep into communist ideas? But are there rational reasons for some of these decisions? Can you still be capitalist? Can you still have a function in society? Well, with well, a, well no, with you can't. Government? You can't. And, and and the reason why, so let's, let's go, let's, let's just clarify this point real quick. Yeah. So in the book, we really defend this piece, back to definitions. So what is capitalism? So let's define, if we want to define that for just a second. Yeah, well, can I go back one step? Okay. Are you are you therefore calling for anarcho-capitalism, no borders, no government, complete and absolute no. freedom? Okay, so do you- So that's, that's probably the one point that we concede and agree with, with, the, with the Marxist, with the Communist Manifesto on the border situation. So it's probably so, the one so, point so out you, of the book. So who manages the borders? Uh, this is important for me to establish where you're coming from. Yeah, um, so- I look at um, I look at it more of a system of almost sort of like the United States was formed on with like independent states and so small independent regions where like I lived in a gated community and my gated community had a homeowners association that I paid every month four hundred fifty bucks a month and they had a gate and they had a security guard sitting there and I had a sticker on my car and they would allow me in and out of the gate and I got provided all the services that they provided sure right yeah. and so um, like that so we pay a fee. A tax, whatever you want to call it, we pay okay. a fee. A tax is a tax. You know, would, I would associate more with theft because it's a forced, um, whereas a fee is something that I'm um, I'm agreeing to pay for in exchange for services provided. Right. So, okay. in my homeowner association, I paid the four fifty a month, but I got all the services they provided. Um, so, um, I've got important questions here. Yeah. So, do you believe all fifty two states then should have borders? Um, that are controlled. I mean, they do. They already no, but do. That are controlled and managed. Meaning that they uh, actually have gates and let people in and out? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think each state could be, I, I don't know the best way. We'll find out what's the best way to do that. Because but, what if Southern California opens up its uh, border to Mexico and lets people in and you don't have a we've border? We've already let five, pe five million and, people and, in the U.S. And, this but, year. Yeah, but that's the difference. What I'm <laughs> well, saying it's is- It's not hypothetical. It's, it's, well, it's real. But like in your scenario, I'm asking your scenario, what if that state opens up its border and then people start drifting across from uh, California into Arizona? Like, how do we stop that? Like, it's really important to establish this because it's like, if you're saying that you should have 52 states that all manage their borders. Well, I think it'll be much smaller than that. I think it'll break down into like a county and even a city level. Okay, so even at the city level. And a lot of what it has come down to is the services provided by that city. So like back, you mentioned California, for example. California has now stood up to say, we are a sanctuary state. So now, any illegal alien who gets smuggled in the country by, by a coyote or whatever, however they get here, now gets access to every single service that California provides, including driver's license, including voting, including yeah. school, including medical care, including social security. This is, this is a tangent. I just, I'm, going back to your, uh, is this communism? I want to establish and understand your position. You're, you're essentially an anarcho-capitalist, but believe in borders. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, ascribe myself to any label. You're trying to put a label okay, on me. Okay, well, no, so, um, yeah, but what is it you, if, if you're worried about this, what is the alternative? What do you want? Well, I believe that capitalism is natural and emergent process that humans go through. Yes. And so um, naturally, we're trying to, we already talked about, we're trying to innovate. We're trying to use our scarce resources better. I used to carry one rock at a time. Then I created a wheelbarrow and allows me to carry 10 rocks at a time. And I killed an animal. You had a fire. Hey, Peter, you got a fire. Can I cook my animal? We'll share. We'll exchange, right? So it's, it's private property rights. It's free and voluntary exchange. It's natural emergent. 
little kids in school are doing capitalism. They're trading sandwiches for chips. In North Korea, in prison, they're doing capitalism and they're trading cigarettes for onions in the kitchen or whatever it is. And so um, capitalism is a natural emergent process where I have my private property and we free and voluntarily exchange those goods. But I also believe the state is a natural emergent, well, it's it's a natural monopoly. Well, it's a monopoly. It's not it's natural. A, but I but I think it is. I th- I think you cannot stop it from happening. Th- this is my point. Let's say when people are like, oh, you're a statist. It's not like I, I disagree with you. I think when you outline- Have you ever read world, Murray Rothbard's The State? I, Anatomy yeah, of the State? A, a long time ago. But what I, it, that's a book, right? I'm just looking at the reality of the world. We have 210 countries or 205, whatever it is. Why- do, why do we have that? I think you are always going to have structures that build. It's not that I agree with it. No, I agree. We're always going to have structures. Yeah, so what are the structures we're trying to get towards? Like, I think this is a natural process, and I think what we emerge with is a natural process. Now, we can disagree with parts and fight against it. No, I agree with you. So yeah. back to my homeowner association, yeah. for example, somebody has to be responsible to hire the landscaping company and mm. make sure they get paid. Someone has to be responsible to hire the security company and make sure there's somebody there and someone has to be. So someone, there's always going to be an organizing function. We're always going to want to assign that to some group or person, right? Uh, but I think it'll be done on a much smaller level, more but, of like. Uh, but how do you establish? The, you know, I always come back to it. How do you establish the rules? What is a crime? And then how do you punish crime? If you don't have a like a set of agreed set of rules, and so if you we do have a agreed set of rules. So, for example, if I go into Disney World, yes, I have to pay to gain admission to Disney World. I yes. get access to everything that Disney World has. Um, they have their own security. They have their set of rules. Okay. If I don't follow those rules at Disney World, they kick me out, right? They have their own security force, et cetera. But once I leave, those rules for Disney World don't apply me to over here, right? What, what if what if I come onto your land and kick you off it? I come with my friends and my guns and kick you off it. Okay. So that, what, is so, your re- what is your right. recourse? Okay, so back to the anatomy of the state or Bastiat's The Law, if you read those books, which are both what, by I've the got, way, I've got I ba- recommend yeah. to everybody listening, those are like 45 minute books, you should Bastien's read them. So um, basically what happens is, um, the way that they're broken down in the book, and I believe, is that, I, and back to the Communist Manifesto, abolition of private property, uh, we say in the Uncommerce Manifesto, the absolute preservation of private property. So it's my private property and I should have the right to defend my private property. So I believe that the only reason why force is valid is in order to defend my private property. Mm-hmm. And if I believe that, then collectively, you and I could team together. If somebody's trying to come steal my property, you and I could work together to defend my property. But what if I beat you and I got your property? I mean, then we, so, okay, so I haven't finished. So then the next step is then collectively, um, there is no such thing as a state. There's only individuals, but as individuals, we can collectively come together in shared interest. So for example, this is what happens. So then we have a village and the village is teaming together to defend our private property. And then we make a kingdom and a country and the country is supposed to defend people's private property rights. But how does the country establish it's hierarchy. We ascribe we ascribe those private property, the protection of private property to this body, this state. But I believe that the only reason force is valid should be to defend my private property. And therefore the state should only have power to defend private property. Okay, but how do you stop then the scope creep? Because I, I, it's not that I don't agree with you, but then you're gonna have new rules. Oh, this happens, so we need another rule. 
okay, how are we going to how are we going to arbitrage get, uh, arbitrate these rules? Well, we'll have to have a court. How, who gives the court authority? And this well, is the point. It's like I think you can burn down and you can start again. I think you always end up the same place, but you either end up with a Western liberal democracy or you end up with uh, a tyrannical government. We, 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 we end, end up with warlords. We, we don't always end up in the same place. Um, and the reason why we don't always end up in the same place is because systems change, technologies change, and the way that we organize and work changes. So, for example, um, this system that we have today hasn't always been here for thousands of years. No, no. But, and, but, it, and it won't always be here for thousands of years. And part of what's allowed this system that we have to grow to where it is today, which is getting so big and so forth, is for one, as I said, after coming out of the Industrial Revolution, it, it organized everybody into cities. Mm-hmm. And when all the wealth is concentrated, it's very easy for the state to grow really big around that to protect that organization. Yes. But as that now is shifting back to decentralization, so instead of giant factories being built in Detroit, now we have thousands of small internet businesses that are all around the world, mm-hmm. for example, right? And so now this is this wealth, these businesses are starting to spread out. And so that will break down the, the state's concentration of power. And then ultimately we get back to the money side, which of course we'll get to, which is it's the fiat money system that allows the state to get so big to fight these endless wars and so forth. And without that, going back to like a gold standard, you would have much smaller governments, much smaller structures that wouldn't go to war with each other because they go broke and, and it gets disbanded. So um, both through technology, okay. the way that we reorganize and through the change of the monetary system, it'll break down to a much smaller, much more decentralized world, I believe. Maybe. But 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 okay. it's but Fine. it's but it's uh, but it's uh, it's emergent. It's it's uh, evolutionary, right? Uh-huh. And so uh, again, the conditions allowed for this government that we have today to grow, but it hasn't always been this way. And as the conditions change, the type of government that we have will change as well. Now, I agree with you. We're always going to need some type of a government or governance. Mm-hmm. So some group of people will always be elected to kind of run things back to the homeowners association or Disney World example, I just think on a much smaller scale. Okay, all right. Fair. And, and, and and if we have enough time, we're gonna to get to no, no. where I think the but world that, breaks down. But, that. but that helps me establish where you're coming from. It's not so much your end goal, it's where you, the, the, the trajectory of where we're going as we swing back to decentralization. Yeah. That we're going to retest all these structures and we may have new structures. That helps me understand it. And, okay. and I think, and I think, and I think it would be better for all the structures to be much smaller. I agree. And be able to compete against each other. And so that way we can find which ideas work better. Yeah. It gives people options of what um, trade-offs they're willing to make, right? Yeah. So you want to live in a land that celebrates uh, transsexual children and, and switching? So you go over there. That's, I want to celebrate. That's, that's I, not what I want. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying some people want those things. I want to celebrate, you know, eating steak and owning guns and uh, natural marriage or whatever. And so I go over here and then we can just see how it plays out over a decade or a century what, or whatever. What about if someone wants to establish an era that um, agrees with slavery? You want to talk about slavery? We still have slavery all over the world. Yeah, but what I'm saying is what if the, the, the place next door establishes slavery? as a, So as a I believe in the absolute preservation of private property. And I believe that your human body is your private property. That definitely goes against private property rights. But but, but that's you and that's in your uh, territory, our territory. We said slavery is fine. Yeah. So so what should we do? Should we go war against them? Should we go fuck those? Should we go free the Uyghurs in China? (laughs) I mean, it's not going to happen. Should we? You want to go to World War III to free the Uyghurs? I don't. But uh, at the same time, it's that is what's happening. And and so, 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 so I think a couple of things. But so, the point I'm trying to get to is that I think often we can look at the negatives of the world. We can like, and I think as a Bitcoiner, sometimes we do do that. We focus on all the fucking negativity of the, uh, you know, what the government does bad. Sometimes we don't focus on what, what's been good. 
like the establishment of uh, uh, base human rights, the establishments of equality in certain regions. The you know the progressives have done a lot as well, and you know we've established these kind of in large parts of the world this set of you know basic humane rules. You wouldn't get Uyghurs now in the United States, okay? That wouldn't happen, you know. So. If we're going to break everything down, let's also recognize this. We're not just breaking down bad stuff. We might be breaking down good stuff. We might reestablish old uh, uh, trends that, that are terrible. I, I think history proves otherwise. So you could say that, but I think history shows otherwise. So, for example, as the United States was formed and we found capitalism in this natural emergent order, um, slavery was abolished. And part of the reason why slavery was abolished, and people don't really understand this point, is that it became a poor economic model. So in the South, they were still using slaves in a couple of states at the time, but it was, they were going bankrupt. It was, it was way too expensive to run the slaves when you could just have machines do the work. And so capitalism actually bankrupted the slavery model um, and, and if, and left to its own, it probably would have been gone. Modern, modern slavery is a thing. It exists. But, but where We've does it, but, just, but, but hang on, but where does it exist? It exists in countries, third world countries mostly that are very poor, that still require lots of manual labor. In a, in a, in a very wealthy capitalist society like the United States, it wouldn't make any sense. Okay, Mark, in the UK, we've had cases where they've had people prosecuted for modern slavery, where like they've discovered- child sex. Like, no, no, no. Uh, they found like houses with immigrants where there'll be 10 people sleeping in a room and they're working the farm. So, so people will use slaves as they can. It does happen. Now, my point is, I don't think we go back to mass slavery. And, and it's the wider point. What happens in that region well, that you does need, establish you need slavery? To stop it. We, we have to protect private property rights and slavery goes against private property rights. And so those elected bodies that enforce regulations and laws would obviously stop that from happening. Okay. I, th I think you've missed my point is that if you break all these structures down, you might create new areas, new structures, which have got certain, you know, different standards they want to, and, and, and it goes back to negative things. It, not if we're, per, not if, not if the society that we move towards is trying to preserve absolute private property rights. If so you should be able to do what that. you want. Well, but I think we should, and I think we should work to protect okay, Of that. course we should. Yeah. No, but you're missing the point. What if, what if one of these do zones doesn't want Absolute private property rights. Like all these zones today that don't want private property yeah. rights. But this is my point. I'm trying to say it's like you you might it might not be what you think it is. You might this stuff might break down and it might not be net positive. It might be. I just I don't know. And I think there needs to be a recognition of the fact that um there has been good things that have come from centralization. There are good things. Not everything. And I'm like, I'm a Bitcoiner. I want a separation of money and state. But I do recognize there have been good things that have been established. You know, one of the great things is the UK. Well, not great, perfect at the moment, but does support immigrants coming in from war zones and uh, refugees. We, we, we house them and support them and we try and allow them to build a life. That's a good thing. You know? There's been some good and a lot of bad. I mean, all right. Let's go back to the list. Yeah, we can go round and round on this. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we said industrial and agricultural armies. That's number eight, which, uh, you know, like in the United States, we subsidize the entire farming industry. We've forced them to start growing corn for ethanol so we can supplement our gas. Those are the agricultural armies. Um, nine, redistribute population. Um, this one, not so much, 
Um, what they want to do is redistribute population, which eliminates the sovereignty of state and town. Now, some of this is done in the United States through the HUD housing urban development. And so under Obama, he changed the, the HUD uh, guidelines where he wanted to eliminate what this says here, the sovereignty of state and town. And so they would change the uh, urban, urban planning where um, they didn't want to have, because right now you have like single family homes here, you have multifamily homes here, you have apartments here, you have retail here, right? So there's like a zoning plan. So he broke that down and said, no, because uh, what Obama said is we want to put all this low income housing in the single family home in, home area. And any um, state or county that doesn't go along with this plan won't get funding from HUD. Trump rolled that back and said, whoa, 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 we're not doing that. Biden, of course, pushed us right back in. So some of these- Is, it the, is it the same thing as what? Well, it's redistribute population. I'm reading it directly. But redistribute what, population. Is there commentary that comes with redistribute population and what Marx wanted with that? The world was so different when Marx wrote this. I don't think there's any more commentary that would come with it. And this is directly from the book. So right. he, didn't, he didn't write a chapter on this okay, point okay. necessarily. And then finally, point number 10, free and public education which of hmm. course is, yeah. is, is common. So um, if, we, if we quantify that, I think we could easily say six of the 10 are there. Hmm. I would say, I mean, without going back through those six, I would say there's elements of the six. Give me the six that you say are there. Well, heavy progressive graduate income tax. Yes, I agree with that, sir. Um, we have uh, established bank, a uh, national bank. Yes. Uh, national control communications and transport. Not necessarily in the UK, but yes, okay, I understand. Um, I'm talking about the US. Yeah. Um, government owns a means of production, land and natural resources, uh, agricultural armies, and free and public education. What's agricultural armies? Well, like I said, in the United States, we subsidize all the farmers, we pay them to grow ethanol, right? So it's like uh, industrial and agricultural armies. So like 50% of, of the workforce works for the government now. Okay. So we have, I mean, the central bank one's an easy one. We have elements there that are within the Communist Manifesto. So what is your point there for? Oh, that? my point is just uh, when people say, I mean, I think it's just a way that we can quantify Marxism or communism in a society. So in order to have a communist or Marxist society, you need to have these 10. I think we have six of the 10. Now, each one of these you could say is a spectrum. Yes, I, th I think you definitely can. And I think also you can definitely justify it. If you are somebody who believes in the state, you think we will we should have state and government, or we will have state and government, like as nation states, not as local kind of more kind of city states. I think some of these you, you naturally will have or need to have. Now, I don't agree with all of it, but, but I think you would naturally have those as part of it. Like owning things like licenses, it's just a revenue opportunity for the government. That's what it is. Doesn't matter. I mean, but, but does it? What, what's the point we're heading toward? Are we saying therefore that we're trending towards Marxism? Well, I or? think we're already more than fifty percent of the way there. I would say we're seventy percent of the way there. And so when people say today that look at America, look at its failed, look what capitalism has done, this isn't capitalism. This yeah, is seventy percent communism. Yeah. See, I don't agree with seventy percent communism. Well, we I, have we have ten points. So now then you can divide, okay, each point, what percentage of each point? And oh, yeah, so, no, but that, but so it's a little bit subjective, I suppose. But but, but, but does 60% communism mean it's communist? Or does it mean there's elements of kind of communist ideas that have leaked into this? Like, well, what, more, more than not. But what's the- More what, than 50%. Yeah, but, but what is the weight and what is the negative impact? You know, <laughs> like, because I think nuance in this is important because otherwise people go, well, America's communist. America's not communist. I don't think it's a f the free country people say it is. Well, how would you define it? We have 10 points. 
How would I define what? Well, you said it's not communist. I just don't think America's a communist country. Okay, but we can use a 10-point scale that Karl Marx gave us. I don't think that works for scoring whether a country's communist or not. Do you think America's communist? Uh, no, I think it's a, I think it's a spectrum. Mm. It's a spectrum, right? And so uh, back to slavery. If I take 100% of your money and your labor, mm-hmm. you're a slave. Mm-hmm. If I take zero, you're a free man. What if I take 50%? I'm still a free man. I just have to pay 50% tax. So you're not a 50% for. slave? No. So mm. at what point? At 70%? What point do you become a slave? It, Define slave then. Well, if I, I said, if I take 100% of your labor and, and money, are you a slave? Yes. Okay. So if I take 50%, you're not? No. I'm not a slave. I don't feel 60%? like- 60%? No. 70%. Because, because- At what point? Only at 100? What about 90? But does it, not, does it not rely on the ability to not work for you, to move so elsewhere? Like, I think slavery is a trap where you're trapped in a, like, if I think of the history of slavery, it depends on, again, it depends on definitions and definitions are important. But when I think of a slave, I think of somebody who's trapped working for somebody and they cannot escape that scenario. It's like imprisoned. Yeah, and they cannot escape that scenario. So so held held, held beyond their will. Held, yeah, held beyond their will, forced to work, maybe get fed at the end of the day, you know, live in the bomb, whatever that kind of- So you know America is the only country in the world that no matter where I live for the rest of my life, I have to pay 50% of my income to taxes. The, I think there's actually two countries. So what about that? Well, well there's two. On, there's there's, a, there's one it, other is, country. It's like some small obscure. Is it Eritrea obscure, or something weird. Something like that, yeah. It's some, it, other, some small obscure country. So you're right. There's yeah. two. And also, that's not strictly true. You can uh, you can. I leave, can renounce my citizenship. And I then have you to wait in line tax. for five years. I have to pay an exit tax. Yeah. I can never come back to the United States. But I think, by the way, I think that is a horrible tax system. Sure. I completely disagree with it. But I don't think it's slavery. I think I think to, and I understand why some people say like I feel fifty. To them, you can feel fifty percent slave, and that's you. I don't feel like I'm yeah, a slave. I mean, we're just we're just talking. About, and, and so all of these are spectrums as but, well. But but Mark, you've got to understand where I come from. I don't object to tax. I think tax is way too high. But I'm happy to pay tax towards a function in society that redistributes and makes society better. Sure, just like I was happy to live in the gated community and pay 450 a month for the the services I provided there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, if you say I pay 50% tax, do I feel 50% slave? No, I feel 0% slave. Why? Because you can opt out? Because I have a a lot of freedom. So if you paid, if you paid 100% of your money, um, you would be a slave, you said, but you wouldn't be a slave if you could leave that place. If I pay a home, I am a slave because it's not, I, 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 I. So what about 90%? Um, <laughs> Is it not missing the free will element though? Yeah, because, it, it, you know, and it's a, it's a very hard thing to try and quantify. All of these are. This is why we said it's, yeah, I said no, it's a spectrum, right? No, and, and, but it's a hard thing to quantify because if I paid 90% tax, but I earned 100 million a year, like I don't want to pay 90% tax. I don't agree with 90% tax. But I still have 10 million a year. I can still buy my house, go on holidays. Like I'm still living a good life. Right, so I think you always have to have so, notes. In okay, these so you like uh, you like number two, What's that? Uh, progressive and graduate income tax. Yeah, explain that exactly. What well, progressive, is. right? So the more yeah. you make, the more you pay. So if yeah. you make ten million a year, you you pay ninety percent tax, but oh, you I, still get ten no, million. I, but if you, if you make ten thousand a year, you pay no tax. So yeah, it's progressive. I right? agree with the progressive tax. Yeah. Like in a tax system, I agree. No, no, but I, but, <laughs> but but I but I do because I I, th- I you know like. You know, recently when I got it, when Liz Truss announced there was going to be a drop in the a high rate of tax from forty five percent to forty percent at a time when the country is struggling, 
I was like, I don't need a tax cut. I'm the last person who needs a tax cut. I'm the, okay. The problem, the problem, I mean, man, we could go down so many rabbit holes. I wanted yeah, to get into the- That's why what, I love what, talking to you. I wanted to get into what the world looks like on the other side of the bluff top. But um, in, in, in regards to this, so there's, there's, there's so much to unpack there. But so, for example, you know that we have creators and consumers. Yes. You create wealth. Yes. You hire people. Mm -hmm. You build- uh, you build things, companies pay you, you return capital back to them, you hire people, they go to spend, you create wealth. Mm -hmm. If I gave you a million dollars, you think you can go turn that into two or three million? Easily. Okay. Um, most people can't. Yes. So when I take your wealth away from you as a wealth creator who could easily go create more wealth and more jobs and create more money, and I give it to a consumer who's only going to waste and spend that money. That is not a net gain for society. That is a net loss. Hmm. So wealth, unfortunately, uh, resources aren't distributed evenly. Some people are smarter. Some people are better looking. Some people are faster. Some people are whatever. So, so do you so, think tax should be flat? I think tax. I, I think a tax, a flat tax structure would be much more uh, reasonable, much more fair. Because back to like Disneyland, for example, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or you're poor, like you're gonna pay the same entry fee into Disneyland because you're gonna receive the same services back. No, if you're a billionaire, you're gonna pay to do the jump queue thing. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> but you know what I'm and saying. And you're gonna stay at the nice hotel in the penthouse. Yeah, and so I, I think- maybe I think, and maybe even get a private tour. Yeah, I mean, if you pay, you could shut the whole park down, right? And yeah. Just, and then run it out. Wally World. Um, yeah, Wally World, <laughs> what a good movie. But um, so I think, that, I think there's a whole bunch to unpack there, but I think the point that I just made, if I gave you a million dollars, you could easily make two or three million back. And that would, you could probably hire more people and you can create more wealth with that, right? Um, but you give it to you give it to the people on welfare, and they're just gonna go spend it. They're gonna blow it. Now, does it give more money to the cigarette and alcohol companies? I guess, and the drug dealers on the street, sure, I guess. But that's not really wealth creation. No, but but I've got, I've always got to admit when I don't the things I don't know. I can't tell you now whether a progressive tax or a flat tax is better. I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that politically, a flat tax will never be popular. Of course, because yeah. the government's so, always going to want more money. Well, no, politically, with voters, it's not going to be popular. So do you know that... Um, so, so that's where politics influences policy you that know may in, be wrong. In the United States, um, the top 10% of earners pay 70% of all the taxes. Is that true? Fact check it, Danny. Yeah, it's true. So the top 10% of earners pay 70% of all income taxes. Is mm. that fair? When Biden says we should pay our fair share, what is fair share? It's an arbitrary thing. Listen, but, but you can but remember, I'm on, on your side. I think we pay too much tax. I, I believe in a smaller state, okay? And I believe in less tax. But by the way, there are people who will, who will point to Norway and Sweden who have much higher tax rates and say, look at society here. Yep. So the top, top 10%, yeah. Top 5% pay 60%. That's interesting. Top 1% pay 40%. That's incredible. So they don't pay their yeah. fair share, they're paying 40% of the entire taxes. Oh yeah, but like, yeah, look, I'm not disagreeing yeah, with you. Know, I'm know, not one I of know. those people who's against billionaires. I, I know, not. but the part I wanted to, that part I just wanted to hit was back to the heavy progressive but, tax because but, I would rather keep money in the hands of wealth creators that would hire more people, create more jobs, create more technologies. I'd rather keep money there than give it to people who are just gonna no, squander I'm, it. I'm, I'm we're, we're, giving, we're giving higher taxes to, there's a whole nother rabbit hole, we're giving all our taxes to the government and now they're funneling how many billions to Ukraine and where's that money going, right? And like. There's, there's all types of uh, places that it goes. And I think ultimately giving it to the people, and I know you already said you're against UBI, but you start giving it to people who are not wealth creators or wealth destroyers. And I think that's a net loss for, for yeah, the society. Look, I, I'm 
got, got to be very clear. I am with you. I think taxes are way too high. I've spent a lot of time with Dominic Frisby. Do you know Dominic Frisby? Yep. Have you had him on your show? No, I haven't. Oh, you would love him. Yeah, maybe I should. Now, he, like, he, he's, like, he wrote a whole book on tax. He's similar to me. He doesn't mind paying tax, but he thinks it should be a lot lower, like 10 15%, yeah. right? I'm with you on this. But if the top 10% are paying 40% of the tax, it's 70% tax rate, if you... If you reduce that down and you try to get the same income from the lower taxpayers, they're going to fuck all money. So I just think this is politically easy for them to do. What we really want them to do is actually waste less and become smaller and become a smaller state. So I'm with you on that. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand the re- how we get there and why we're there. Yeah. But I agree with you. I'd like to pay a lot less tax. Yeah. But the point, going back to the point is I do not feel like a slave because I, I would not use the word slave lightly. I do not feel like a slave. You might, and that's your life uh, no, experience. No, I, I don't feel like a slave either. Uh, do I you would, feel 50% a slave? Uh, no, because, I mean, you know, I can still somewhat kind of control myself, right? So, like, I can somewhat, not 100%, right? So, these are spectrums, and I, I'm all about nuance. I think the biggest problem that we have, and I know you see it as well, the biggest problem that we see having big social media audiences and seeing this kind of a pulse on this society is people have lost all nuance. Exactly. I mean, exactly. it's, it's a horrible. Because so, nu- nuance, there's no reward for nuance. Yeah. It's a small reward for nuance, I should say, with a small, loyal audience. But there's, like, this is Tim Paul. Tim Paul is no longer nuanced. He is yeah. dog whistle, big statements, yeah. you know, audience capture. And I think that's a real, real problem. I think the nuance is important here. Yeah. But my point on, on this is, is like, if I look at the whole world, I feel like I'm probably one of the freest people in this world. I, I've come from a wealthy country. I have a great career. I earn good money. I have total freedom to travel. I have freedom of opinion. I, I, like, I feel like one of the freest people in the world. Yes, we should strive for more and always strive for better. But fuck me, I'm lucky. And I look at the people before me who fought the wars to give me these freedoms. We should strive for better, but I'm never going to say I'm like 50% slave when I feel so fucking blessed and lucky yeah. to be where I am. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. I, I, agree, I agree with that. I mean, we're just talking about the nuance and trying to <laughs> talk about the, 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 you know, the, the scale of these things. And so even on these 10 points, like we've already discussed, each one of these, we could talk about the nuance or the or the the scale within those. I guess um, what's the point we're trying to get to with this? Well, we were just trying to understand what Marxism is. And, yeah. uh, and um, then we were going to get to um, how Marxism really hasn't gone away. And so communism and Marxism probably seems like a really old term. And a lot of people are wondering why the hell we're even talking about this at, at length. But what we've seen is that it's still here and alive and more alive and well today, more maybe than it ever has been. And so now if we transition to kind of where are we at today, which we already kind of laid out the 10 points, but look at the the Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Okay, so so let me ask you an important question. If if the Marxism's impact on society is a spectrum, if there's a spectrum of how Marxist society is, is there therefore a spectrum of a resulting spectrum on the negativity that brings to society? That uh, the that the Marxist ideas bring to society. Yeah, sure. Because, the because more of, the more they're tried, the more they're implemented, the worse it's be- it becomes. Because there's there's also a binary on like communism. Like you could literally have a communist country, binary communist, and you would have all the terrible effects of that. But if we're saying there's a spectrum, is there a spectrum of negativity come with that? Yeah. And 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 yeah. What, the reason I ask that that's important because therefore we should eliminate those parts. But at the same time, some of those things within that spectrum, you might go, do you know what? Actually, for a functioning country, which ha- is a nation state, which does have borders and a government, 
maybe some of those things are beneficial to be be centralized. We'd have so, to work through them all. Yeah. So I think there's a couple there's a couple things that I would unpack in that. So um, the first thing I would say is that um, in the book we break down um, politics over here. And within politics, there's a spectrum of politics with left and right. Yeah. So supposedly fascism is right and communism is left. But that's not true. That's what they say. And then you have whatever, Democrats and Republicans and whatever. So you have this whole spectrum of politics over here, left and right. But they're all central planners. And then we say over here is natural emergent capitalism. Capitalism is not a political modality, like people make it sound. It, capitalism is not a version like socialism or communism or fascism. Capitalism is not one of those p political modalities. P capitalism is, I live in a cave. I created a spear, so it's easier for me to kill animals, and you learned how to make fire, and you and I come together and we share our food. That's just natural, it's emergent, right? And so the way I look at it is we have humans who are always trying to do better, always trying to use our scarce resources more efficiently, um, always trying to get more for less, right? More efficiency. Um, that's natural and emergent, ingenuity, creativity. And then over here, we have politics, which is something for others. Two, there's two ways to get wealth. One, through cooperation and creation, or two, through, through coercion. That's it, right? And so capitalism is... Co cooperative, mm -hmm. collaborative, creative. Politics is coercive. And mm -hmm. so what happens is you can look at politics almost as like a parasite that, that leeches onto the wealth created by, by capitalism. And a parasite, uh, its goal is not to kill its host, right? If it kills the host, then the parasite dies as well. And I think probably the first versions of communism. That's a really, really good way of explaining it because you can see right now, I think of that chart from the Greg Foss. Yeah. Can you grab that chart up? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way of putting it because it is parasitic now. Because like- well, it's, it's, always, it's always been parasitic, yeah, but how parasitic. much does it affect the host? Yes, so it's always parasitic, but like I say, I think, I think the state is a natural monopoly that will always happen. I think you will always have structures that build. So the net interest growing on the deficit, right? Yeah. And as you can see, the total deficit is going to keep growing and keep growing, and it's going to get to the point where it cannot be serviced and the money will die. This is killing its host. Yeah. This is charting killing the host, right? And I'm completely agree with you. This is where it's all gone. I would also wrong. say the Bolshevik revolution in Russia killed the host. Yes. I would also say in Germany, it killed the host, yes. right? In East Germany. Uh, I would also say that in China, it almost killed the host, but in the eighties, they opened up some of the free ports and trade and they, they, they backed off enough and brought enough capitalism to then revive the host. And it's almost like this parasite has been constantly tried, 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 tried again. In the US, it was barely on the host and the US flourished and now it's getting bigger and bigger and it's slowing the US production down, right? Yes. So um, that's the way I look at it. It's like this uh, parasite that sits on top of um, a natural and emergent process. And and do you think all of this is like a natural, like with politics in the UK, one of the ways my brother's explained it, he said, you always have the pendulum swing left to right, okay? You have spling because we overdo it, yeah. And then it more, goes back so, the we, other way. so we go to the conservatives, we have lower tax rates, we have more, you know, uh, uh, individualism, and then we go a bit too far and you know, we swing back to the left and we go to more centralization. He said, It's just it always swings back and forth, like whether or not we agree, disagree with state, no state, whatever. Is this just a natural swing? Well, it's not natural, but it is a swing. Right? Well, well, so, and it's not natural because it's not collaborative, it's not emergent, it's not natural, it's coercive. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is like, is it always going to happen? 
Yeah. 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 Because what happens, uh, and it's it's good and bad, any overdeveloped strength becomes a weakness, right? And so as humans, we're trying to get more for less, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to invent, we're trying to have, have new ideas. Instead of carrying one rock, I made the wheelbarrow, right? So I want more for less leverage. Jeff Booth. Right. So, but if you take it too far, then I want something for nothing. Yes. And so um, I believe that um, communism, Marxism, uh, we talked. We started off talking about uh, my own biases and emotions and whatnot. And I believe it 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 appeals to human sinful nature, hmm. greed, envy, yeah. and slothfulness. Yeah, it appeals to those. So, hey, you poor people, you're poor. You're never going to get ahead. It's not your fault. These people over here, they oppress you. So let's come up with justification why you can't get ahead and why we should go get the resources given back to you. That's envy. That's greed. And it's slothfulness. You Each according to their ability, each according to the need. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to try. You don't have to learn new things. Just do whatever you can do. And we're going to get all that wealth and bring it back to you. Hmm. And it appeals to that sinful nature. And people love it. Hey, you know, some people. This show is brought to you by BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. Now, they heard about the difficulty I had with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you're looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you might want to become a BCB customer too. Now if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just have to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, which you know, that's always something I care about. Now, you do get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Now, privacy is something I am definitely taking more seriously, and with the recently released Wasabi 2.0, this becomes so much easier. Now, if you do want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also today, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But whilst we're at the bottom of a bear market, I'm only buying. We're hodlers, right? We hodl through this. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips all through this. And I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini have invested in building leading industry security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M 
ini.com forward slash WBD. Yeah, but is, there, is any of this a sign of a uh, dignified and civil society that as it grows and establishes, it helps those less fortunate who so need help in their society? You could argue. And, you, you bear with me, bear with me. And I know some people will say, you know, voluntarism will do this. Uh, I'm not convinced it fills the gap. And I've been to, you know, I've been to countries which don't have social programs and you have ghettos that bring violence. We don't have ghettos. You're in LA right now. Oh, no, we do. And we, (laughs) under every fucking bridge, we say, yeah, but but, 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 let me finish. So, and I've seen it. And then what you have is the rise up. You have the revolution of the people who feel oppressed. They feel they're not getting, and and that brings issues into those who maybe have been successful. And so isn't part of this a part of social cohesion? No. No. You don't believe in that? No. I, I, I know it's not true. Okay. And I know it factually. Um, you donate money. You do charities, right? Yes. The people who think that we need the government to steal from one group to give to another are the people who don't do that. Which you do that, so I don't know why you have that viewpoint. I'm a fucking weirdo. I, I donate <laughs> a lot of money. Now, yeah. what did we do before the government? It was the church that took care of people. The yeah. church is the ones that build the hospitals. The church is the ones that build the universities. The churches though, have been the ones that always give charity. Now, let's flip this up. So, so historically, we see that there was always people taking care of the less fortunate, all the way back in biblical times, right? It's, there's always been people that will do that. I do that. I donate my time and I donate. I, in July, there's an orphanage in Mexico I've been supporting for 13 years now. We raised $450,000 for them in July Amazing. this year. Like we do this, my friends do yeah. this. Like we do it all the time. I donate my time. I take my family twice a year to Mexico. We serve down there, right? So um, it always happens um, and, we, and, and it's happened throughout millennia. But then I would also ask you this, you have kids. Mm-hmm. So um, there's some things that your kids really want that you could give them, but you know, it'd probably be bad for them, right? Why don't we just give these people money so they can just live I knowing know I know. that there's times to help people. There's times for charity, right? For sure. But a lot of charity actually does more harm than good. And here's another piece. Uh, in my nonprofit, we say the hashtag is happy people help others. Mm-hmm. So you have kids. The greatest joy you've probably felt in your life is watching your kids, giving them something that they enjoy and them having fun. Absolutely. Or when you've helped someone else and you just feel genuine happiness and gratitude by giving to somebody else, right? So what happens is the greatest source of joy we can have is helping other people. All right. But the pro, and then when someone has legitimate, you've legitimately helped somebody who was in a really tough situation, they're super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the state ruins that. Mm. The state steals from you. So now you're mad. And now it gives to this person who now feels entitled and angry. And instead of you feeling good for giving that person, instead of this person feeling grateful for getting it, now you're angry because they stole from you. And this person is angry because they're entitled. And the whole system is short circuited and ruined. I find that hard to argue against. <laughs> Because you've lived it. No, no, look, I have lived it. I, and, and do you know what? And I am charitable and, and like I'm, I've got this ongoing struggle with my son at the moment. He's off at university. He's trying to be independent. You know, I'm trying to get him a job. I'm giving him money. and But I'm, I'm like trying to wean him off that. But yeah. as I do that, I worry about him not having enough and like being skinned. And, but then I'm seeing him come back to me and saying he's applying for a job. And it's like it's a real push and pull on yeah. your emotions of like you don't want them to go without. But he's like, you've got to learn to go and earn money. Yeah. I'm not I, I have the same it. problem. I have an 18-year-old daughter and I'm like, 
fighting it. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough because you don't want to go without. But the same. But time that's you, family, right? So they say like with with your yeah, family, but, you're communist. Yeah, I know. But right? but 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 it's the same, really. What you're really saying is exactly the same. It's like. You know, how do we wean society off expect, have this expectation? Because we do, that's why I say the politics is the problem. You know, this flat rate tax, the problem is, is we'd be politically unpopular because we've conditioned people to think you should pay more because you're successful. Yeah. You should pay more because you've got more money. We've conditioned people that. Yeah. You know, we have people who have your AOCs and your, your Bernie Sanders who have demonized billionaires. But what's, there's no problem with a billionaire. The problem is the, is, is, it's the destruction of the money and the people at the bottom who are essentially poorer. Whereas what we should do, we have a rising tide that lifts everyone. We well, shouldn't worry about the billionaires because the people at the bottom can afford to feed. And I did this, I've got this film coming out this probably this week. Dominic Frisbee talked about it. You know, we used to be able to have a one, uh, uh, one salary family who could afford a home and a car. We now have two salary families who are sometimes relying on handouts. And that's why people aren't having children because they can't fucking afford it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so, with you. So the thing I would say to that is, um, to your point, and I agree, right? We demonize these rich people, right? AOC's wearing the dress, like eat the rich or tax the rich or whatever, right? So we demonize, the Bernie Sanders want to demonize the rich people uh, because they have more. But nobody demonizes LeBron James because he's the best basketball player and he has more talent. He makes more money than all the other basketball players. Why is that? And here's why I think it is. Equal rules, fair rules equal unequal outcomes. Yes. Okay. So the rules of basketball are the same. I'm not good at basketball. I'm short. I'm white. If I played against LeBron James, he'd eat my lunch, right? Mm -hmm. um, but nobody looks at that as being bad because it's fair rules that are applied to us equally. Now, people view the financial system as unfair, and they know that Bezos got government favors and use yeah. government regulations to build entrenchment and build a set of rules for himself. Look what look what FTX Sam Bankman-Fried was trying to do. He was he was using all the money he stole from his customers to go build regulations to entrench his position. Mm -hmm. And so we look at that rule as unfair and so then there's resentment there. And people don't understand it, but they know there's something there and they're angry about it. So what they want to do is back to basketball. What they do is say, well, LeBron James, it's no fair. You're so fast. So let's break one of your legs and let's tie one of your arms behind your back. And now you and Mark are more on like even playing field, right? So now they're trying to make unfair rules to have more of an equal outcome. So now me and if he plays on one arm and one leg, me and him are more equal. Uh, so we have about an equal outcome. Now we have a competitive game, but we had unfair rules. And so I think that is probably that big difference there. Mm. I, I, I I find it hard to disagree or argue against that. I do. And I think this is one of the things where like, I've always tried to establish is it's not that I am a, uh, I don't just, it's not that I disagree. I think we had, I think the way we establish hierarchies is broken. And I think the way, but I think it's always going to happen. I think we're going to have hierarchies. We're going to have government. And what we should do, do is fight to make it better because it's always going to happen. Now you will disagree. You say it's going to swing the other way, which no, is great. Well, I, I agree. I agree. We're yeah. always going to have hierarchies. Which is why I was like, Danny but, hates me saying this term. I say I'm a reluctant status because I think it's the best we have. Like I get to live in the UK, which is pretty fucking great compared to everywhere else. Maybe not America, or, but, but we should make it better. Yeah, why is it people people aren't fleeing Syria and Eritrea to try and get into China or Indonesia? They're trying to get to the UK or they're trying to get to the US because it's got hope and opportunity. We right. built a structure that allows people to thrive. Yes, we should make it better. Absolutely, we should make it better. But I think making it better is keeping it as it was. 
this is where the conservatives versus the progressives fall into line. So the problem that we have, yes, we're always going to have hierarchies mm -hmm. and we're always going to have discrimination because we discriminate against everything. I decided to wear a black shirt instead of a white shirt to today, right? I decided to marry a blonde girl instead of a black girl or whatever it is, right? So we always discriminate. I decided to eat steak instead of chicken last night. I hate Tottenham fans. <laughs> exactly, right? I fucking hate So them. we're always discriminating against things and that creates these hierarchies. The problem that we have is that, again, with capitalism being this natural emergent process, um, it should also be built off of like a meritocracy or what we call in the book, Uncommonist Manifesto book, um, competent individuals. And so the problem is that our system has now grown to a point where there's no longer any consequence or responsibility. And so we want to have a system that allows us to climb up the social ladder, but also a system that should allow people to fall down the social ladder. Yeah, and not just at an individual level, a corporate level. Well, uh, even more Fucking let those fucking companies so fail. I, I don't believe that capitalism leads to monopolies. It's the captured regulatory system that allows monopolies to operate in the first place. Yes. In nature, there's no monopolies. The bigger you get, the slower you are, right? There's always going to be Instagram that's going to put Kodak out of business. Innovation, technology, speed, and, and so forth. It's regulations. It's Sam Bankman-Fried trying to use the regulatory body to protect it. It's Jeff Bezos using regulations that prevent small people from coming up and competing. But in its own, in a natural capitalist system, I don't believe those hierarchies are entrenched in the system. And so now there's room for people to move up and people to move back down. I think there's room for people to move up and down in the system we have right now. I mean, not, and, not really, right? I mean, you don't have you don't have JP Morgan going out of business when they screwed up in the 2008 great financial crash. No, look, no, we have certain protections around massive You don't have companies. Janet Yellen losing her job when she can't even know that there's inflation no, but that, coming. But that's essentially the current bourgeoisie. <laughs> but, 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 but no, that's I, my point. But I, I, but I still believe anyone can make it now. Like in the UK, you can come from the toughest background, you can still make it. I do, it. I believe yeah. it. So it, it, we have, we have a meritocracy with at an individual level. It's really that top layer that's been ossified. Right? Yeah. So we have a lot of room here, but once you get here, you're protected. Yeah. But I think that's what the point with Danny was making. That I think that's the similarity with Marx in that he identified that top people and they're protected and, and other people can't get there. And I think that's essentially what we're saying. Once you're there, you're protected. I could go with that. But but it's usually within the political- I can go with that, Danny. There you go. But it's usually within the political class or the companies who have the connections to the political class. Right. It's the olig oligarchy, right? right. Yeah. That, so that that I think is I think is right. We should let it fail. But I, I do like, I mean, look, we have a meritocracy, but um, an inter interesting person to talk to is Ovik Roy. He talks about, help you know we have a meritocracy but those at the bottom you know they have it harder you know we might have a meritocracy but the meritocracy is influenced by the luck of the draw sure and the person with the bad poker hand has it harder but they still win sometimes they still right? win sometimes so, but, uh, but 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 we but, can't make sure everyone at the poker table gets the even hand no we can't but but ovik will talk about he can statistically prove that if you help some of the people at the bottom you know in the right way not the way the government does it but if you help some of the people at the bottom, you can actually raise up all of society. But that requires thinking. That requ and, 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 you know, they're a think tank that helps the government kind of make some of the decisions. And that's why I'll never be one of these people to say everything the government does is bad. I, I don't. But I do think we should always strive for better. And I, find, I think we should always strive for better too. Yeah. So, so let's talk about where we're going with this. Let's talk about the swing back, where you think this is headed now. 
because so um so you showed a chart a financial chart before but you know in markets you have like blow off tops yeah right so you look at the uh, we talked the, about this before yeah the dot-com boom you have the you know 2017 run-up of bitcoin etc right and so what happens is markets stop going up when there's no more buyers yeah Markets are actually pretty simple. People make them very complicated. Yeah. Uh, markets stop going up when there's no more buyers. So you start sucking in more home buyers, more home buyers. Based, at some point, everyone owns a home and some people own 10 homes and like there's just no more buyers. Or at some point in 2017, the people that knew about Bitcoin had bought it and then it crashes back down. That's the bluff top. And so I think we've seen the same with centralization. And so people are like, hey, just take care of my education, just take care of my retirement and just take care of my kids and just take care of my healthcare. And just what else can I give you? What else can I, you, you already take 70% of my income. I've already assigned you everything. What more can I give you? And so then there's this blow off top. And I think, um, I know we've talked about that before. Some of the things I would point to um, that show that we are um, at the top and actually blowing off. Oh, I completely agree. Like, I'm so, 100. I mean, I had it the other day with Greg Foss and James Lavish. When we put that chart up, I'm like, we're fucked. Yeah. So, but from a social level, so we could look at, here's a couple signs I wrote down. So, um, one, we've seen like massive pushback on the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. So the premier at Ottawa came out and said, look, you're in the government. We want you out. We're not moving forward until we get the World Economic Forum. We need to out these people, right? Massive pushback there. Massive pushback on this whole ESG thing. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, four different states have pulled all their money from BlackRock and said, Amazing. said specifically because of your ESG, we have 19 Repub Republican states who have now sued the top six banks for ESG mandates. Great. Germany decided to keep their nukes on because Greta Thunberg told them that they could keep their nukes on. Not joking. Um, California is keeping their nukes on. So we're seeing this whole World Economic Forum, BlackRock, ESG thing crumbling right before mm -hmm. our very eyes. Um, we have, uh, you know, the rise of populism. So Maloney being, um, elected in Italy, I think was a big sign. Um, you know, Biden's approval rating at 30%, right? Well, how do you, how do you square the circle with that, uh, the midterms? Because do you, I mean, I mean, I, I'll, I, for, I'll, 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 I'll put midterms in the U S in one example. I think it all came down to the abortion. The, the, no, I think it did. Here, here's, here's what it came down to, uh, all of politics in the United States comes down to one race, and that's in Pennsylvania. So we had a, we had a celebrity doctor who was trusted and loved by the by the left. He was a liberal TV celebrity doctor, very articulate, very smart, back, backed by Oprah. Everybody loved this guy, Doctor Oz. And the Democrats ran a guy who can't even put a sentence together. And whatever, he had a stroke, and I feel sorry for him, or whatever. But whatever, either way, he had a stroke. He can't talk. And he beat a celebrity doctor who's educated and articulated. So that tells you, now, was that fraud? Or was it that people are so blind ideologically, they're just gonna vote regardless if the guy can talk or not? It doesn't really matter, but that shows you, I think, everything you need to know about politics. What happened in Arizona? I think massive fraud. Massive amounts of fraud. We're gonna find out. Well, okay. I mean, I mean, the, the evidence is just, again, and again, this goes back to what we started earlier talking about with the Alex Jones thing. Um, when there's no transparency, speculation runs rampant. So look, this is an easy, easy, easy solution to fix. If, if, if the left didn't wanna be accused of manipulation, then provide transparency. That's all. Like, look, we could literally have a YouTube live stream. We could have a Republican and Democrat in there and they could sit there and hand count them. That's it. And we would know and we'd have a live stream. We'd have people on both sides and they would count it. That's it. It's simple. Or Roe versus Wade, potentially 
made a lot of. Maybe, maybe. By the way, and, and I'm hey, not, I'm I, not somebody who you know, like I, it's a complex subject. May, maybe, and and that's fine. The point is, is that there is serious allegations of misconduct and fraud. In Arizona, the Secretary of State, who's responsible for the vote, was running and is now found to send out thousands of ballots that didn't have her opponent's name on there. And well, she's responsible for it, and she's running. So, look, I'm not saying there was misconduct, yeah. but it's easy to fix. Easy to fix. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's easy to Get fix. Get somebody from both sides. Yeah. Have them both and just sit there and count. No, no, I completely agree so with that. So why wouldn't they do that? I don't know, and I don't know the details, but I just – I think it's hard to – a kind of whole country. And I just, every time like the Republicans lose now, this starts with this agenda. Well, actually even pre- Well, first of all, terms. there was lots of Democrats that said that they lost the vote because of manipulation. Hillary Clinton lost yeah. the vote. So, so, and, bo so both sides have accused. And it happened with Bush and, and, and Gore. And, 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 and it's easy to fix. Right. And, and what I want to know is why don't they just fix it? Because it's so simple. We don't need technology. Yeah, I know. Literally get a Republican and Democrat in there and just freaking count them. All right. Simple. Should we make sure that happens? <laughs> Simple. Um, so anyway, I think these are signs. I would also say the ESU complain. I think uh, also, I mean, the biggest one is obviously what's happening with Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan. Tell me Russia, Ukraine, what you think. Well, because um, that is breaking the world into a multipolar world. So we've okay. had a single polar world with the U.S. being the homogeny, with the U.S. dollar as the as a reserve currency, and now that whole system is crumbling apart. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, Russia. Twelve countries want to join BRIC. Well, we have all those nations joining BRICS. So yeah. now Saudi Arabia says they're joining BRICS, which is the petrodollar, which yes. backs the US dollar. But we also had Iran, we had Argentina. Now, more than half of the people living in this world today are part of BRICS. They wanna create their own currency. Why do they live under the US dollar standard? More importantly, the gold, which is a relic, but it's still money and under the BIS, which is the head of the central banks, still considers gold as an asset under Basel III, central banks are required to hold it. And so now central banks are buying more gold than they've ever bought in history. The gold is so suppressed, we don't know, but we experts say somewhere between 300 up to a thousand paper ounces for every one real physical ounce. Are you buying gold? I own some. Yeah, I thought about it. I own some, yeah. yeah. Um, I speculated in some like gold miners and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of leverage there. But um, the price of gold, so beside it being speculated on in the paper markets, being manipulated in the paper markets, the price of gold is set by some chaps in the in the UK, the London Bullion Market Association, the LBMA. You're welcome. And they do it on a phone call every day. <laughs> I think six guys get on a phone call in the morning, what should the price of gold be today? I mean, it's just insane. Is that really true? Yeah. It's not set by the market. It's not set by the market. Let's see if the LBMA sets the price of gold. So, um, so how the how, fuck do they decide? How much gold does the UK produce? Uh, I have no idea. Zero. Right. How much gold does the BRICS nations produce? I have no idea. Sixty percent. Right. Okay. So who should get to set the price of gold? So, so the BRICS the market want, should set the price of gold. Well, the market should set the price of gold. So, um, it shouldn't be the LBMA. No. So correct. the BRICS nations one want to create their own money system, and two, they're creating a competitor to the LBMA. Have you got it? Yep. Right. IBA independently administers the price, provides the auction platform which the LBMA gold price is calculated, while LBMA owns the intellectual property rights. The platform is electronic. It doesn't tell me anything. I don't care. I, we'll look that up. We'll find out. We'll put it in the show notes. Why don't um, they just let the market decide? Why? Because they don't want people to know what the price of gold is. It'd probably be higher than it, it says is the now. internationally recognized benchmark price for gold set twice daily at 1030 and 1500 London UK time. Based on what though? Uh, they must have rules of what they set the price at. Yeah. You guys, why, you guys can look it up with the show But why can't notes. people ignore that? 
Uh, well, they can, which is why the spot price is way different than the futures price right, okay. and, and whatnot. Um, but I think, anyway, th these are just signs that it's breaking apart. Yeah. I think uh, bigger signs. So then, okay, so the, the Russia-Ukraine thing. Um, if we want to dig into that, I think really, to me, it, it's, a, it's a war of globalism. Mm -hmm. And so Putin doesn't want to go along with the globalist agenda. Um, and so there's a regime, you know, regime change, want to change that. But I think it's really the world versus West. It's, it's turning into more of like a world versus West type situation. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to see a, a potential breakup of the EU further than beyond. I, I, I agree. The, uh, the debt levels, we'll get to that, but the debt levels are also going to create a, a breakup of the EU as well. What do you think about... Um, Germany being the cause of it because they're fed up of funding everyone else. Well, um, so the EU is a cobbled, a, a bunch of co countries cobbled together, which is mm. the problem. And, and the problem is that they're all different countries. And so the, Germany is like the economic engine of Europe, mm. right? So they're the manufacturing hub. They make cars and heavy equipment, machinery, et cetera. Whereas you have like the pigs nations down below, Portugal, Italy, Greece, Spain, et cetera. And they're lazy and they like to lay in the sun and drink wine and they don't produce anything. And so you have this economic <laughs> engine that basically drives all the tax I mean, No offense, but uh, they drive hey, the I'm tax not. revenue. I know you're not from there. I mean, so the engine, right? The problem is now, uh, one, they don't like that. Two, it's not fair for them. Three, they went from a net exporter to a net importer now. Yeah. And so now, if they're the engine, well, who's going to drive the model anymore? And really, if you look at this geopolitical picture, which, man, I don't know if we have time to get to now, but I think uh, the game, the geopolitical game has always been keep Germany away from Russia because Germany is the manufacturing hub. And if they can get access to cheap inputs from Russia, that's all they need, right? Mm. So now I have manufacturing and inputs. And so the game has always been to try to keep those two people apart, which is very weird how the Nord Stream pipeline broke. <laughs> yeah, what's your uh, theory on that? Well, I, I think the theory is to keep those two countries apart. It always has been. Where do the pipelines run? It went from Russia to Germany. Mm. So would it have been either one of them? I mean, we've watched enough crime mysteries to know, like you just kind of look for motive and things like that. And so why, why would Russia blow up their own pipeline, which is their whole leverage? It costs 16 billion to build or whatever. Yeah, and it's their whole leverage. They want to sell gas to Germany. Yeah. So like, of course they wouldn't do that. Why would Germany, when they really do want to buy it from them? And Germany, why would Germany do it? And the goal is to keep Germany away from Russia. So somebody did it to prevent those two from coming back together. Now, who would have done that? Um, it would have been NATO. And I don't believe any country in NATO could do something without the U.S. approving of it. Hmm. That would so, be my guess. So, so this is all breaking apart. Okay, so this is all breaking apart. Um, which, by the way, well, I'm well, I'm not a globalist. I I like domestic manufacturing. Um, I like uh, I like domestic culture. I yeah. like you know I like individual ideas. But but, I, but most people haven't really thought through what that means. Yes, but, so we can talk about that. But like, where do we end? Because I'm conscious of time. It's, it, the trilogy now will become a quadrilogy, or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, so what does that what does what does that mean when we go back to yeah. this uh, isolated world where we're more local cultures, local foods, etc.? So most people haven't really thought through that. Uh, we're already starting to see that. So in Europe, like Norway's banned exporting of electricity, Bulgaria's banned exporting of firewood, India's banned exporting of rice. The U.S. is now competing for oil and natural gas from Europe. So the U.S. is running through a diesel shortage. There was a, a shipment of diesel going to the U.K. and the U.S. traders outbid it and diverted the shipment back to the U.S. And Venezuela is now potentially an ally. I thought uh, Venezuela is so far gone. I, I don't. I don't think I, Venezuela. Was it John Kerry who was with Maduro? Yes. And they're talking. You know, there's a lot of oil there. That, that there's the, a lot of the oil Venezuela's there. Venezuelans cannot afford to mine. 
Yeah, I did a. I just did a show with uh, Josh Young from Bison Interest. He's a big energy guy, and we went through each country's um, oil and what that looks like. And Venezuela is gone. Like Venezuela won't may, maybe in a decade. Uh, oil takes a long time to come online, right? It takes yeah. seven to ten years. So like maybe in a decade, but like most likely. But not. I just thought it was interesting. John Kerry was shaking hands with Maduro. Yeah. Um, so then we have you know OPEC uh, potentially with uh, OPEC fighting against the Fed. So the Fed sees that there's uh, inflation caused by energy, and there's two ways to cure high prices. One, bring on more supply, or two, crush demand. So the Fed says, well, we'll crush demand. And so then OPEC's like, well, then we'll just pump less oil. Like, we'll, we can play this game longer than you can. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that situation. And of course, if, if uh, OPEC and Saudi Arabia goes with the BRICS nations, it looks like they're going to, then the whole world breaks apart. Um, we have the whole Iran-Argentina situation uh, going with them as well. And then we have the sovereign debt bubbles bursting. So mm -hmm. um, in Japan, um, the UK, all these countries, because energy prices have got so high now, they're being forced to sell treasuries in order to buy and import oil and energy. And so all of this basically just leads, and the, and the EU has this anti-fragmentation tool they're doing now, which is basically, let's just take from the rich countries and give to the poor countries, which is gonna, gonna make this problem worse. So all of that leads to this Sovereign whole world communism. breaking down. Yeah, this whole world leads to, lead, lead, lead to it blowing off. I think there's three main trends that I'm tracking. And I think if you look back um, in markets, you have secular markets, long-term secular markets. And within a long-term secular, think like the, the Dow or the S&P 500 from 2008 to 2022, a long-term secular trend. And then you have cyclical downturns within a mm -hmm. long-term secular trend. So if you look at a long-term secular trend, there's been three trends. One has been globalization. Mm -hmm. So we've increased peace, we've increased global trade, right? So um, we've also, two, we've increased the population. And three, we've increased the money supply. And all three are reversing. And all three are reversing. Mm. So if you if you double the population and, uh, and, and ADX the money supply and increase the global cooperation and trade, what happens? Well, massive progress, mm -hmm. massive, uh, massive uh, inf uh, deflation. We took $100,000 jobs, we sent them to India for 8,000 bucks, $100 parts, okay, and made in Asia for eight bucks. Massive deflation, which allows for massive monetary increase. But when you have depopulation de or population decline and you have deglobalization, how does the central banks create money in an inflationary environment? And the answer is they don't. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you decrease the population and you decrease the money supply and you decrease global trade, Progress was slow. Progress was slow. So what does that look like? I don't know if we have time to dig through all that now. I mean, <laughs> let's have a go. I mean, we can run through it really quickly. So um, you said that you're kind of a fan of thinking about smaller nation states and cultures within that. And that sounds great. And, and I am too. That's a populist thing or whatever. And that's great. And I love cultures and I love to go to different places and see different cultures. Yeah. But what does that really mean? So we haven't really thought through that. So for example, um, I have my iPhone right here. In order to make this thing, we need parts from six different continents. So if we can't have peace and global trade between six continents, then how do we get an iPhone? A Ford, a Ford, car, Ford, Ford cars are made in 60 countries. There's 4,400 manufacturing sites over 60 countries to make a car. How does that work? People haven't really thought through what this means, I don't think. Well, somebody, somebody also did say on the show recently that said nations that trade with each other don't go to war with each other. 
Usually because there's two ways to get wealth. Yeah. Cooperation or theft and coercion. And so if we're if we're cooperating together, we have a good relationship. Why would we go to war with yeah. each other? And so what's happened is um, in order to get our cars, in order to get our iPhones, we have this global cooperation. And what's happened is, um, and then we can even get into food. Food is probably the biggest problem that we have. Because what's happened is, um, all these nations that have been coming online, most of Asia, not just, it was China, but now it's like Thailand and Indonesia and Bali, and et cetera. Any nation that had a port could instantly take their poor population and start manufacturing wire harnesses, like basic components and start exporting them and they could automatically create wealth. And then also countries that could produce wheat, wheat was the staple that kept people alive for, for millennia. Um, it's not the highest and best use of their land. So now um, uh, Holland, could be the dairy capital, as could Venezuela, uh, New Zealand, right? So that's their highest and best use. So they'll export what they is the highest and best use and they'll import what they need. Well, what happens when they can't import what they need anymore? Stop exporting. Stop exporting. Now they have to grow, instead of their highest and best use, they have to grow wheat again. So how does that change the situation, right? So I think uh, the the biggest things I think, so if we look at, if we look at that, I, I, I took some notes just on the, on the, on the food aspect of it. So like uh, a couple problems. One, if we look at agriculture. So if you go to your grocery store, most of that food isn't grown in your local area or even your country. And so it's grown in all these other countries that are specializing in that. But what about the agriculture equipment required to even grow that food? We're talking about massive tractors and earth movers. Those can't be shipped those have to be manufactured in country. Okay, so what you so when you talk about deglobalization, are we talking about this is going to be the impact of deglobalization that that or can deglobalization work if we maintain cooperation? But are you fe fearing that there won't be cooperation and therefore we're going to see a breakdown of all these? I'm fearing there's not going to be a cooperation. We're going to see a breakdown of it which will lead to- And we're already seeing it, right? Where India's already banned exports of rice, Bulgaria's already banned exports, Sweden's already banned exports, we're already seeing it. The US just outcompeted Europe for diesel. And so I think we're gonna continue to see uh, less cooperation and more competition. And is that um, like you, market you, dependent? Like, so, so that makes sense in kind of energy and food, but, but in kind of like manufacturing, industrial manufacturing, would you have the same protectionism? Do you think the US is gonna go back and do business with Russia right now? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Yeah. What, about, what, about, what about the CHIPS Act uh, or the, the bill that the Biden administration just put on China where we just shut down their entire high-tech industry? You know about that. Is that where like uh, a bunch of people just basically quit? Yeah, but do you know why they quit? So there's basically three levels of microchips. Mm -hmm. So there's like oh, they, yeah, low-tech, so mid-tech, and high-tech. They high took tech. out all the- um, Second and third tier microchips yeah. out of China. And not only did they- not They only took did, out the expertise. One, they did three things. One, China's not allowed to have chips anymore at all, period. Two, China's not allowed to have any um, people that know how to work on chips, which is why they resigned. And three, China's not even allowed to have any equipment that could- why? Why? Why is this a policy? Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, it was. I mean, I don't. To handicap, to to knock them out their knees, to take them out, to send them back to the dark ages. Yeah, obviously, but, but but doesn't that increase the risk of them invading Taiwan, who manufactures chips? Well, but it doesn't really. So back to this global cooperation, right? So China, um, Taiwan makes the chips. 
right? But where do they actually get the equipment from? Where do they get the designs from? Where do they get the supplies from? So the silica sand that makes up the chips, 85% of it comes from North Carolina. Oh, hold on. So, so how are the chips that Tesla require from their Giga factory in China, where do they get those from? Well, they're not going to get them anymore. Can we can we look this one up? Mm -hmm. So so if you think about it, remember the whole world is connected. Like people haven't really thought through how big this connects things. So for example, to well, get I think a, they did uh, COVID when the, all the uh, supply chains broke down. I know, but like to to get a so to build a Tesla car, you need a microchip. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the microchip comes from Taiwan. Yeah, but where do the parts come for the microchip? Taken. Okay, the U.S. has taken unprecedented steps to limit the sale of advanced computer chips to China, escalating efforts to contain Beijing's tech and military ambitions. The moves are designed to cut off supplies of critical technology to China that may be used across sectors, including advanced computer and weapons manufacture. Keep going, keep going. Uh, China consumes more than three quarters of the semiconductors sold globally, but produces only fifteen percent. of the, So you can still produce. Oh, yeah, but 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 you, but uh, this is so China Semiconductor Industry Association said in a statement that it hoped the U.S. government would reverse its decision and return to international trade negotiation. Okay, and we've just had Biden meet uh, Xi Jinping. So, is so this my my guess is it's like, hey, Xi Jinping, you're you're not helping us with Russia. You, we've we've uh, sanctioned them, but you're buying all their exports. So you want ships back? How about you jump on board with us with Russia? Okay, right which now. they might do. Right. So I'm guessing it's a bargaining ship. Yeah, yeah, that's what right? it feels like. Yeah. But as of right now, they're dead in the water. Now that article, your two seconds of reading, didn't really catch up on the whole situation. There's three levels of microchips. So China is able to make like tier one microchips, which are made for like alarm clocks. Okay. Okay. No tier two or no tier three. No thermostats, uh, no computers, certainly no iPhones. They can't make any of that. I mean, they've, they've whacked their ankles with a sledgehammer. With a sledgehammer. Yeah. So it's probably a bargaining chip. But what if it what if China says, no, we're going to continue to be with the BRICS and we're going to continue to get food and energy with, with them? So these are just basically power games. It's power games. Yeah. And, and I believe it's only going to escalate and we're mm -hmm. going to continue to see a breakdown of that. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, where does this lead? Cool. So please China, don't say, please don't China has to import 70% of their oil. 85% of all their energy is imported. China has no arable land. Most of China is a desert. They can't grow their food. They don't have their own energy. Uh, they don't have water. Any water they do, because it's a desert, any water they do have has been completely contaminated. Um, and they're manufacturing, but they can't buy their own products. And the population shrinking? And well, then there's the demographics. We can get to that as well. China sounds fucked. They're, they're, they are. So within 25 years, half of their population will be gone. Have you seen the footage that's come out recently of uh, protests against the uh, COVID uh, uh, restrictions and barriers? Like basically they've been trampling down. In uh, China? Yeah, like oh, yeah. revolution stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you've seen actual protests in China now. Uh, a couple of little things here and there yeah, that don't get scrubbed real quick. It's, 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 I wonder if it's a seed and we will see some kind of revolution in China. Well, China is going to break apart. Most likely we'll go back to like, remember, what we know as the world has been here for 80 years. Yeah. China is, has a long history, but mostly of dynasties. Yeah. And so China will probably break apart back into some smaller dynasties. So just on pure numbers alone, this that's is- That's what you want though. It's not, it's not, it's no, not that no, it, that's like localism. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a better way, but yeah. I, I think peace and, and trade is, is a, is a better way, right? Not, not coercion, but I think 
just on data alone, um, half of the population in China will be gone in 25 years. They're just time out. There's not enough young people for the old people to have. And uh, a society needs 2.1 kids per people to sustain itself, and China's having about one. But wow. the bigger problem is for 40 years, they had a one-child policy. And anyone who had uh, the one child wanted boys because they yeah. wanted a boy to sustain it. Bloodline. They estimate millions of girls were just drowned right at the bedside because they didn't want the girls, they wanted the boys, right? And so now the, des the country desperately needs 30-year-olds but you can't just go get 30 year olds. They can pay everyone 5 million bucks per baby, but it doesn't help the situation that they're in. Yeah. And then how does China go get their energy? How does China go get their food? They, so they're in a precarious position. They don't have any Navy. So mm, they have a small Navy. Less than 10% of their ships can go more than 1000 miles. Really? Yeah. Wow. And Japan has one of the most powerful navies in the world. Japan could easily send out a couple of warships in the Indian Ocean and block every single shipment in and out of China. Huh. The UK has a good navy. So the countries that have good navies could still go out and get supplies. China doesn't have a good navy. So what, what do you think? Do you think China's fucked? Do you think China now relies on the West? Do you think that would lead to more cooperation? Well, one, we know because of demographics, they kind of just start to disintegrate. So their debt, their debt level problems that they have, along with their demographic decline that they have, they're going to cease to exist as we know them. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. You know, they don't have, and the same with Russia. So Russia also has a very aging population. So Peter Zion wrote a book 14 years ago saying that Russia would invade Ukraine by this year. Really? And the reason why he said by this year is because of their population decline or their demographic decline. And if they don't go now, they're, they're going to be too old. They well, don't have enough young people. They need to stop sending these young people to war and having them killed. I agree. I mean, I'm not for war at all. I'm no. all for cooperation, not coercion. So I think the world kind of breaks up into these different regions where we kind of have like this Sweden centric. So there's like Sweden, Netherlands, Denmark, France, UK, Spain probably work together. And of course, like France, the UK, Spain, they have navies. And so like those countries kind of can work together. There's energy in the Black Sea. And so like there's like a region there. We have basically North and South America. So the US, Canada, Mexico and South America kind of work together. So like um, all that manufacturing in China, China isn't really the manufacturing hub that it used to be. China's gotten too expensive. Now most of the manufacturing has gone to other parts of Asia. But in a world where we can't, we don't have just-in-time supply chains going and we don't have peace to ship and things like that, we have piracy and things like that happening, it would make much more sense to manufacture in Mexico and Central America, which will be probably cheaper than it will be to manufacture in Asia. Mm. So all that manufacturing that brought Asia online all comes back to Mexico, Central America, and maybe parts of uh, South America. Do you think we're heading to better times? Uh, it depends on what you consider better. Um, the answer is probably no. I think, uh, and it depends on what you consider better. I think we've probably reached the peak of humanity for this cycle somewhere a decade ago. Right. Um, now it's it swings and it ebbs and flows and there's a pendulum and whatnot. But I think, um, but, but we have a limited time in life, so we're going to live in the decline. I think we'll and, live in the decline. Now, and um, our children might live in the now. One decline. thing, one thing the United States has going for it is it's the most unique, you know, God blessed piece of land in the world where we have all our own energy. We have the ability to do wind and solar. Most of the world doesn't have the ability to do wind and solar. That's a whole nother disaster. That's gonna change the world to energy makeup. Uh, but, the, but the US, we, can, we have all our own energy. We can grow all our own food. Uh, we can manu we have all the ingenuities. So we can design, create, and manufacture everything. And we can consume everything. 
So remember, China and Asia can manufacture things, but they can't buy it. Right. So the U.S. and really North America and even South America, I think, probably continues living pretty well. But even that, our quality of life will be impaired. Right. So costs will go way up. So mm -hmm. instead of having cheaper stuff made, our, our, we'll see massive inflation. So I, I think that this is some of the lowest inflation we'll see for the decade. A lot of people think that inflation's peaked. Inflation, it goes like this. Right. But it, it, nothing goes up or down a straight line. But I think inflation goes up. The cost of manufacturing goes up. The cost of goods. I think we'll have less selection of goods. So all the foods that we're used to getting in the grocery store, we'll just have less selection. I'm just conscious of time. How are you preparing to protect yourself for this outcome? So I think ultimately um, we have to think about things in terms of like purchasing power. Yes. And so if the cost of purchasing the goods and services that we want go up, how can I make sure that my purchasing power continues to hold or goes up so I can continue to buy the things that I want? Mm. Um, and you look at countries in smaller examples like Argentina or Venezuela that have collapsed, like the rich people still do pretty good, right? It's the majority of people that get that get really yeah. stuck. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead. I think the, we beat uncertainty with optionality. So I think about things in terms of options. So money mostly gives us options. Of course, Bitcoin is, uh, is a big piece of that. So um, at the time of this recording, Bitcoin price isn't looking so good, but I do believe that as this happens, Bitcoin only becomes more inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that Bitcoin will be a big piece of that. We, we can't really get into like how the world functions at that level, but if we have this multipolar world, it doesn't work with a single currency, a homogeny. We're gonna need a currency that can work that nobody can control. If nobody trusts each other, mm -hmm. we're gonna have to have some sort of like a decentralized ledger that nobody can control. Do you know of one? Uh, I've heard there's one called Bitcoin. Sounds pretty badass. Um, right, and where we can send money, right? Because yeah, yeah. gold, if we, we can't go back to the gold standard. That's kind of where we're angling, but that's just never gonna work in this world. And so uh, I think of things in terms of purchasing power. Some, some, some things I've done uh, because I believe optionality beats uncertainty is I uh, bought a piece of land in Mexico and I'm building a house in Mexico. Um, I also bought a ranch in Texas and I have five cows and 10 goats on my ranch. And can I maybe come there and rent a spot if things get tricky in Europe? Do you know how to use a gun? I, you can teach me. <laughs> Jameson Lott told me how to shoot a gun. Um, so, you know, I have my ranch in Texas and it's around a bunch of other steak eating, you know, freedom loving gun toting people. And I have my animals and my food and I can live there if I need. I have a place in Mexico that I'm building down there. So I think about things in terms of optionality where I can okay. go. Um, I have a community in El Salvador like you do. I could probably go down there if I needed, right? So I have communities where I can go and then, and then money. Right, and so money allows me to travel to these other places or able to survive. But Danny, we need a ranch. We need a ranch. We need a ranch. Um, we're gonna have to close out here. Yeah, I know we went long. We expected, and we always do. Um, I, I always push back because it forces me to learn, and I always leave our interviews with a lot to ponder and think about. And I think this will be. I don't listen back to my interviews because I hate it. I think this. I'm going to be listening back to this one. Um, I'm going to need, uh, I'm going to get some of the citations and read some of the materials. It's, um, you've definitely made me rethink some things and, uh, yeah, it's, I commend you for it. It's, um, it's very interesting. You got anything you want to ask? No, I think we're good. How's your back? Oh, it's killing. Poor Danny put his back out today. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he, yeah. um, he, um. Yeah, he's a real athlete, Danny. <laughs> and today he sneezed and put his back oh, out. No, he's no, in pain, no, no. poor lad. Man, yeah. I'm getting old. 
Um, anything, you, anywhere you want to send anyone? Well, I'd love for everyone to go get my book, The Uncommonist Manifesto. It's on Amazon, it's on Audible. Um, buy the book and leave us a good review. Like I would highly, uh, that, that'd be a big favor I could ask. Just go buy the book, it's cheap. We're, um, not, we're not done here, by the way. Yeah, read the idea. I mean, we, we could definitely dig more into this kind of last part here, but go get the book, uh, Uncommonist Manifesto, read it, discuss the ideas with other people. Um, I believe that truth is found through discussion and communication. Yeah. And so we don't know, none of us know, we're guessing, we're discussing, Discussing, I like to say like verbally sparring with our ideas. So go get the book, read it, discuss it, leave us a good review. Um, other than that, I make uh, I make a couple videos a week on my YouTube channel. You just search Mark Moss, you can find that. Go check it out. Okay, um, we will be in Texas in January. I think we've got to do that. I say final part. I think this might be just an ongoing thing, but <laughs> we'll get back together. Mark, love you, appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing, and I will see you soon. Thanks, Peter. Okay, what did you make of that? Do you enjoy that? Do you agree with Mark? Do you think we're coming Marxist? Do you disagree? You know, I really enjoy these chats with Mark because we are, we're quite opposed. We, we don't agree on a lot apart from Bitcoin. And, uh, but either way, every time we make a show, I, I, you know, I can sit down with Mark for hours. I just love talking to him. I love hearing his rationale. I love pushing back. I love having my own like ideas and thoughts tested. So even though we disagree on loads, I actually, uh, yeah, I really like talking to Mark. Now, under Mark's thesis, the future's looking pretty bleak, but actually, do you know what? The world's pretty, pretty bleak at the moment anyway. I seem to be going from catastrophe to catastrophe, so maybe Mark is right. And yes, we will definitely make a part four. So listen, if you've got any questions about this, any thoughts, any opinions you want to let me know, please drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will get back to you. Also, just uh, a reminder that my new film is out, Follow the Money Part 2. This time I'm looking at inflation. I filmed part of it in my hometown of Bedford and also in Harlow. I was basically talking to families and businesses to see what they understood about inflation and how it's affecting them. It's up on my YouTube channel, which is the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Please do go and check it out. Please let me know what you think. Okay, I think we're going to have to go back to bed. I feel terrible. Listen, have a great week and I will see you all on Friday. 